Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here with a new Greg Rucka debrief. That's right. Back in uh, Thanksgiving, we said that we would reconvene uh, because big things were coming in Lazarus. And come they did. Lazarus uh, ended its uh, winter season with a big crescendo in its last issue. Uh, It's going to come back in the spring. Greg gives us the details of what to look forward to and what has happened so far in Lazarus. And uh, it's a great conversation. We also talk about his Star Wars work uh, because not only did he do that Force Awakens prequel in comics, but he also did two of those young adult uh, books and had a chance, I guess more than two, because I think it was all uh, Finn, Ray, and Poe. See, now I'm I'm, uh, able to talk a little bit more about Force Awakens and not feel so uh, spoiler-bound. In fact, much like last week's episode with Dan Slott, I, uh, you know, we, we talk a bit more about uh, the movie and the uh, the book tie-ins that Greg has been able to do. Uh, we also have Lady Saber information, Queen of Country information. Uh, Stumptown gets covered quite well. And because I'm really enjoying that story, that's a great story, especially given that I'm a coffee achiever. Uh, great stuff with Greg Rucka and lots of listener questions as well. So I hope you enjoy this uh, casual but fun conversation that we call the Rucka Debrief on today's Word Balloon. Hey, everybody, it's John from the future. I uh, felt I needed to interject because uh, going over this episode and my intro and close, I uh, forgot to mention that, of course, we talk about black magic, the excellent image book that has just gotten underway. Uh, Greg and Nicholas Scott, they're three issues in, and uh, the mystery deepens. And uh, yes, we spend time on a lot of time on black magic. So uh, that's just me slapping around past John that when he recorded this intro and close was a little loopy and uh, just uh, didn't have all of his facts together. So Black Magic Talk coming up, I promise. Today, uh, it's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, I always say that, and I mean it. And especially in the last few days, there's been a few uh, new uh, League uh, subscribers to the Patreon account. As I always say, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause and appreciate the uh, fresh content that I provide every week, uh, you get uh, two hours of uh, good comic book conversation that I don't think you find anywhere else, and I uh, intend to keep doing it no matter what. But if you want to help the cause out and uh, help me in terms of uh, equipment, travel to conventions, and the like, uh, if you can spare a dollar a month, that's terrific. Go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. That's where you can do it directly. There is a tab to get to that as well right there on the front page of wordballoon.com. But uh, really appreciate the help that uh, you all provide in uh, spreading the word about Word Balloon and, frankly, uh, helping uh, pay the bills and keep the lights on. So thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where tremendous deals happen every week. Uh, as soon as there are new books, you can find them at great value at InStockTrades.com. All DC and image titles currently are 45% off. Select image titles are up to 50% off. Uh, And there's uh, more great deals happening on books like Matt Wagner's excellent Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Trinity. The deluxe edition hardcover is 50% off. It's just $14.99. You can get from Becky Cloonan the first volume of Southern Cross with Andy Bellinger and Lee Lowridge, among others. It's uh, the first uh, edition is, you know, it's just listed at $9.99 at InStockTrades.com, just $4.99. Great way to get started on that excellent series. Joe Keating and Lila Del Duca continue to kick ass on Shudder. 
Volume 3 is out now, and it's 45% off, just $8.24. And uh, you can get uh, Archer and Armstrong from Valiant, the classic omnibus featuring Barry Windsor Smith uh, writing and art, also Mike Vosberg. Uh, man, I'll tell you, this is amazing. 30% off, just $69.99. One of those great classic runs of the 90s. Just a couple of the great deals you can find right now at InStockTrades.com. But don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. All right, let's uh, continue our conversation with Greg Rucka that we started back in November. Uh, this is a brand new thing, as you'll hear. Uh, we started it uh, the weekend after New Year's. So it's just about a week ago. Uh, I hope you enjoy the talk, and uh, I think you will. Without further ado, let's get to the latest Rucka debrief now on Word Balloon. It's the new year, and it's funny because the last time we talked was uh, holiday week, uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, well. But we're talking just after the new year for a new Rucka debrief. It's, 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 uh, we'll make it a semi-regular uh, holiday occurrence, I guess. It's a cause for <laughs> celebration, John, when you, you and go. I get together. Chat. Well, you know, let's see. Uh, I know that the start of Lazarus will come back in April-ish, and May, like, will maybe the first full new issue. We are back in April with the Carl with with the Lazarus right. source book, Volume One, Carlisle. Okay. Um, we're looking at May for twenty-two for issue twenty-two. Okay. Um, that might be June. It will depend because okay. we really want to make sure that the next arc hits monthly, like third Wednesday of the month, every month for the arc, the issue will be there. Um, okay. right. And, you know, there's the the thing. Um, I was looking for a holiday to hang it up. Yeah, no, on, well, continue. you know, uh, Memorial <laughs> that doesn't Day. matter. There you go. More importantly, what's going on with the series? Um, exactly. You know, the way Michael builds. Michael works very heavily off of reference, um, okay. and he builds uh, a majority of his stuff in 3D. So when and 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 his character models and so on, and because of the nature of of what Lazarus is, that requires a lot of like pure creation uh, in many instances because we're, you know, quote unquote sci-fi. Um, we are futuristic enough that we look at things and go, what's the extrapolation of this design? Or we'll both dig around online or, or actually I should include Troutman in this as well. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do these web crawls and, Oh, look, here's a prototype for a new tank, for instance. And then, you know, that'll get put in front of Michael. Here are eight different prototype designs of future tanks and he'll sort of mix and match and, We'll actually have discussions about what looks more feasible and what follows the design element of which family, for instance. And then, you know, he builds it and then he draws it. So every time we are in a new place doing new things, um, there's new new assets have to be created. And, and uh -huh. that's just, you know, that's just the way he works. So... You know, 22 through 26, we are in some new locations. We're in a lot of old locations. But, you know, we go we go to the battlefield in Europe. Um, we're going to be in North Africa a bit. Um, so there's, you know, there's design stuff that has to be done there. And, cool. you know, he jokes with me. He says, you know, it's easier if you just give me two people talking in a room. Uh, <laughs> and I say, yes, I know. And... 
but the fact is he's joking because you know he he wants he's digging it. well and he wants what the story needs sure so but is he i mean obviously he is digging it because he's in for the long haul yes well and, and this is you know because so some he people seems. so he seems. well, well Okay, because, well, you know how it is, too. Yeah, you know, man, I really haven't done battle scenes in a while. And then, you know, 22 issues later. Okay. Uh, yeah, can yes. we not do any more of those? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that really, I mean, yeah, he kind of can. You know, it's funny because in Conclave, it was like, there are so many characters in this arc, and I have to draw all of them. And I was like, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. It's like, just give me something similar. Give me some combat. So then we have Poison, you know, which is our war story. And he was like, oh, my right. God, that was a nightmare. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I'm assuming the tanks you're talking about for exactly, instance, or from, from Poison. We're at, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the Hawk design for the tanks. We, we went around cool. and around on that. And the bunker design. And, you know, then Troutman will do a design for a schematic, for instance, that's supposed to appear on a readout. It appears on a readout. And then two issues later, we're at the actual physical bunker. Uh, you know, and Michael will reach out to Troutman and say, okay, so I need a full design of that bunker. And Eric's like, man, I just gave you a schematic for the, oh, all right. You know, and he'll come up with something and then they'll end up building it. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. And then Michael's got, you know, I mean, he's got Tyler uh, doing the ink assist. He's got Jody Wynn backing him up, uh, you know, everywhere. And then he's got, I don't, I can't remember the guy's name. But he's, got, he's actually got a 3D model builder that he's hired who he sort of gives designs to and says, I need that in 3D. And this guy will build him, you know, 3D models that he can turn around. No, no, I think they're just, they're all graphic. I don't think he gets, uh, sure. I don't think he gets the actual 3D models. So it, it's, it's, you know, every artist works in their own way. You look at, you know, you look at how Justin's working on Stumptown. You look at how Nick's working on, on Black Magic, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they all take their reference in very different ways. If you look at, you know, the start of Black Magic 3 is... Mm-hmm. 3 start with the autopsy? 3 starts with the pub. Yeah, 3 starts at the pub. Okay, 4 starts with the autopsy of Bruce Dundridge. Um, okay. And Nick, you know, called me up at one point and said, um, have you actually looked at you know, pictures of bodies pulled out of the water after two weeks. And I was like, yeah. She says, it's disgusting. Yeah. And I was like, you didn't need to go that deep into research. And she was like, no, I needed to get it right. And then she was like, so is he still like, is the body still opened up, you know, during the, when they come to see it? And I was was like, are you asking me if the Y incision in the chest is open? And she says, yes, I want to know if I have to draw that. And I was like, you know, you don't have to draw that. They've closed him up. She was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> there was a piece of me that was like, yes, draw that. So, you know, so obviously for some stuff, she's going directly to re- re- reference, right? Other things, Fantastic. other things she's, you know, she, there's, there's a bit at the end of four um, that there's no possible reference for, uh, okay. you know, so that's, that's coming, that's, that's coming whole cloth. You know, Justin works. Um, I, I mean, I've never watched him work, but it seems to me he works much more freely um, he, he renders less. And so, you know, for instance, uh, case of cup of Joe, um, two of the characters are named after guys I know. And I sort of wanted nods to them. And for one of the characters, I didn't give him any reference at all. And he just sort of hit this guy's design anyway, based on my description. Uh, but we meet the second one in, in issue nine, the, the next okay. issue that's coming out. 
And he had done a design. I was like, I actually kind of want him to look like this. And I sent him photos. And of course, you know, you give him the photos and boom, there you go. Here's a likeness. So I was like, that's perfect. That's great. <laughs> so, you know, they all, they all work in their own style. They all, they all work in their own manner. Um, it's very interesting to me to see it. And I think it reflects obviously appropriately in the art and, and, and I think is appropriate tonally to the work. Uh, I've described Michael multiple times as not photorealistic, but photojournalistic. And that model accuracy that he strives for is part of that. You look at Lazarus and there is a, nobody's going to mistake it for a documentary, but there is a feel uh, to the art and to the texture of the world between what he's doing and Tyler's doing and what Santi's doing on colors that makes it very realistic, which is, absolutely, you know, which is always a dangerous word to use, I suppose. But yeah, it comes across. You look at what Nick's doing and it isn't really realistic. Right. But it right. is entirely um, it's very immersive. I think she's created such a beautifully immersive world with the rendering uh, sure. that she does with the, in particular with her ink washes. That I think it's just stunning. Uh, and then again, like you say, you look at Justin and there's something that's much more freer in his approach and the way he draws that fits in particular, I think, is a very happy marriage with the current arc because it's not cartoony but there is an element of caricature i think in what he does that has allowed the humor to really play in in the latest arc one is evocative of the moment because it's that it is that hipster coffee scene yes anyway and no and his art really does i mean it, it fit fine for the soccer story before it as well but I, but I do like it in this uh, environment because it does work. It's you know I just saw that Disney American Experience uh, documentary, mm-hmm. and they were talking about um, UTA mm-hmm. in the fifties, um, and that was uh, a competitor to Disney for people who don't know, and it really adopted the artistic aesthetic of the moment, that new art movement of the fifties in its look. And I think his, like I said, that's how I would describe what he's doing with uh, with the coffee. Yeah, I think that that's that's a very apt description. So, yeah, I I, I, I think one of the benefits of, of of age and wisdom is that I am now far more. Um, I think I'm far more comfortable in my own head with letting and this is going to sound odd I guess I'm not sure how it's going to sound I think for me I came into comics not really having you know you come in and you don't write them and then you write them and then as you do more and more you discover that and you work with more different artists you discover that each artist uh, is rendering the vision in a different way you know that sure. that that each of them takes different things um, from the script, and when I was much younger, it was more often than not that I'd look at it, look at the art, and I'd be like, "Well, that wasn't what I wanted," um, and I wouldn't really stomp my feet, you know, or anything. Uh, especially when you're working, you know, when you're work for hire and on deadline, the opportunity to go back in and have something redrawn 
is really only done if it's crucial, like if, if something has really been screwed up. And, yeah. you know, this wasn't an issue of people screwing things up. This was an issue of what I was seeing in my mind's eye not matching what the artist clearly was seeing in theirs. And I think, you know, one of the benefits of my experience just having done this now for as long as I have is that I am very much in a place where with the majority of the people I'm working with now, I, I have a good idea of what I'm going to get. But mm -hmm. I am – but more importantly, I am much better at um, – not to pat myself on the back, but I think I'm much better uh, at letting artists do their job without me getting in their way so that it is truly collaborative rather than vaguely dictatorial. And I think there's nothing quite worse than, you know, the writer who's going to stand there over an artist and say, no, do it this way. Uh, the division of labor in comics is grossly uneven, frankly. You know, Michael needs roughly five to six weeks for an issue of Lazarus. I need roughly a week to write the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and when you look at work like that, then if nothing else, it's simply a common courtesy, I think, for, you know, for me to get to step back and to try to engage. And it's funny because I, I had a conversation with Nicola just a couple of days ago. We were breaking down the back half of, of the first season of Black Magic. And I was talking about some of the stuff I wanted to do in issue six. And I asked her, I said, is that, okay, you need to let me know if there's anything you, you want to draw. And she was like, well, don't write for me. You know, write, write what you need to write. I said, no, I, I'm going to write what the story needs. But if there's something that you really want to be able to do, let me know. You know, because that, that, that's a moment that I can work towards. And she had sounded, frankly, so sort of, both surprised and vaguely appalled at this notion that I was going to, you know, if she had said, well, yeah, I really want to draw Rowan on her motorcycle racing through town, I can do that. You know what I mean? Right. Then sure. that's not a big ask. If there's something that, you know, and, and, right. and, and, and that, that's fundamental collaboration, if nothing else. So, well, you're involving them in the creation, in the inception and everything, obviously, from the way you described it with Michael. I know that you and Nicola have been working towards this anyway with your DC work, so that doesn't surprise yeah, me either. But it's the same thing know. with Justin, too. And and, and I was going to say, yeah. Justin's the one I know the least about, but obviously, no, it sounds like, you know, yeah, you're, you're letting them build these characters from the ground well, up with whatever they want to put into it in mind, if it obviously, you know, still jives with what you're doing. Well, uh, you know, I use the word a lot these days, but... One of the nice things about doing creator-owned work is that it's entirely collaborative. Sure. And, you know, none of these things are mine. These are all ours. And mm -hmm. that necessitates uh, these conversations, in my opinion. You know, I mean, it, it requires them. There's got to be active communication and input. So, yeah. You know, I, I understand that, and I can see that, too, getting back to Lazarus right now because of where you're putting the story. And let's let's finish our Lazarus conversation. Around. Sure. I do want to talk about all this. And also, we have a, a nice stack of uh, listener questions Yay. as well. Yeah, you know, every now and then, I'm smart, and I realize, okay, this is enough advanced that if I put it out there, I bet people will respond. Because sometimes it is fly by our pants, as we know. Well, uh, Saturday night, we get we, we get people responding. That's always a win, in my opinion. So I'll take it. There you go. 
Exactly, and it is that kind of lazy holiday weekend mm-hmm. where I'm like, yeah, you know, I've, I've had enough fun. I'm like, I could, I could relax, you know, enjoy the extra weekend that we're getting. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, back to Lazarus. So you've got, yeah. I, what I wanted to say was, there's got to be a way to package this beyond the traditional comic book and what we're getting digitally, because I really think there's an audience that really you haven't tapped into yet. Yeah. Because of seriously everything you guys deliver from the essays to the the story itself, and you know Troutman's back covers always are just those wonderful <laughs> ads. I mean, it's just it really it, it is this, and that's why the source book is going to be great too. And I, that's why you know let's talk about you know what's coming. And you've said it, you've kind of spelled it out. Did you spell it out on the air? Or did we spell it out to each other off the air? Uh, no, we did it on the air because we talked about the holidays and stuff. Yeah, and we coming. can always, but we can always recap. So. Sure. Well, I'll get into a little detail of what, what to expect in things like the source book. Because um, the trades, you know, you've got that, that family tree in the trades, which I think is very helpful and stuff. But if people are really just reading, you know, those 20, 25 pages or, or so of story each month, yeah. you know, it's – it's gr- I mean, it's great. It's fantastic. But it really is like – you're. I, I keep saying this about a lot of these good books that take advantage of the image – back matter kind of, you know, formula. And the same, same goes for black magic for that matter as well. Yeah, I mean, these things really, you, you take full advantage of and you give a full magazine and just a lot of good content. Yeah, well, it's very active on our part. You know, we really want to deliver every page that we can fill with content we, we want to. Um, and with you know, a book like Lazarus, it's relatively easy because there is so much about the world that is unspoken or uh, yet to be explicated or even yet to be shown. And to be able to provide context uh, in the back matter, I think, adds the reading experience. Not having it doesn't, I think, diminish the experience, but having it certainly augments it. Yeah. And that's always the goal. And that's one of the things we're going for in Black Magic. Though I think in Black Magic, one of the things that's happening is it's not entirely clear yet how the back matter fits into the main material. Uh, the essays. Well, yeah. the yeah, the, the excerpts from, from uh, right. Gilles, uh, Gilles, Gilles' account uh, from, from the 1560s he's writing now. Mm-hmm. Um, though that that will become more evident, and there is actually room there for we we have planned for some artifacts, but have yet to really do them um, because <laughs> of course you will. Well, mostly That's because great, the relevance of those artifacts is the thing that uh, that dictates their inclusion. Uh, and in Lazarus, it's very easy to find the immediate relevance. Uh, in Black Magic. There's a twofold uh, complication. The first is, is there a relevant artifact that doesn't give away the store? And the second is a mechanical one, which is the creation of the artifact for Black Magic is a much different process. When we're creating Black Matter for Lazarus, uh, that is in the main extrapolating material that we've already developed and assets that are relatively easily generated so that Troutman's 
designs, uh, for instance, for a different family coat of arms or logo designs, are those are easy enough for him to do. For Black Magic, if we're going to say, well, this is a piece of a document from 1678, that requires deciding what language is it written in. <laughs> what did that language look like in 1678? Who do we know who can translate our text into said language at the time as it would look in 1678? Can we do this without involving Nicola? Because that's a huge thing. In the same way with the Lazarus back matter, we, we, we never want to turn to Michael, right? Because as I said, you know, right. he's got his head down drawn, drawing the actual issues and say, sure. hey, by the way, can you toss off something as a back matter asset? <laughs> Because his response will be, uh, yes, right after I murder you. Um, <laughs> you know, it would, it would be rude sure. if nothing else. And by the same token, we can't, can't really do that to Nick. The, and that, that leads to actually uh, sort of the biggest, biggest complication, right? Because Lazarus stuff, if it's computer generated, it looks entirely appropriate to the world. And if it looks computer generated, so much the better. In Black Magic, if we're saying here's a document from 1674, and it looks computer generated, then it sure as hell doesn't look like it's from 1674. Sure. Uh, and that is its own, like I said, that's its own cascading complication. So, you know, I, I used, by way of example, we excerpted a page from uh, one of Rowan's four uh, mothers uh, from, from, from her book of shadows uh, in, in, was it only in the magazine format of issue one or was it in both? I can't remember. But to do that, right, I had, yeah. I had written the spell. Um, I had written the invocation that, that, that this particular foremother used. And all right, except now it's a piece from 1803. What does handwriting from 1803 look like? Because handwriting in 1803 is not handwriting in 1850. Right, you got the S's that look like F's without a cross. Exactly, and there was actually yes, and there was actually a very specific (laughs) hand. We're not talking; it's not typeset; it's handwritten, right? Right. Right. So now we got to find a computer font that can do that, and where it can't, that can be manipulated by Troutman to make it look like it can, and has to then have the imperfections that one would expect from handwriting. And then needs to be placed on a piece of paper that is appropriately textured and aged. <laughs> right? And, and Janine, I mean, Janine went nuts on it. I, I, like I said, I don't know. She disappeared for like three hours and then she came back and we got these emails like, okay, so I found this document and this is the guide and this was the handwriting thing that was used at the time. This was the style that everybody was using. So this is what we have to do. So this is what it's got to look like and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, thank God for you. You know, um, I mean, you know, we, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a research assistant for black magic. You know, that's that, that's the difference. You know, Lazarus, sure. I don't have a research assistant. There's a whole team of people who are weighing in, um, but there isn't somebody that I have actually had to hire uh, and say, okay, I need to know everything about the university system in Paris in 1530. <laughs> 
All right. And when I say everything about it, I need to know the classes, the coursework. I need to know the languages that are being used. I need to know the languages that are being spoken. I need to know where the students lived. I need to know where they, what they ate. I need to know where, you know, where they were sleeping. I need to know how common it was to own a horse. I need to know, you know, go down the list, all the details. I need, I need to know, I, I need to know the coinage. Right. I need to know uh, what what was considered a good meal, a common meal. You know, uh, you go down the line and uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's just uh, like I said, maybe the worst thing I've done on Black Magic is decide to set this set those particular back matter pieces in an era um, that I knew nothing about. And then. <laughs> And my secret- but again, to your to your own level of satisfaction, not I mean, like really to go to this level of reality, you need all this. Yeah, but but here's my secret fear, John, is that nobody's reading that stuff anyway. They get to the end. Well, that's- they get to the end of the issue and they're like, oh, is that prose thing? I'm going to skip it. You know, I'll read them. All, I'll read it all later when it's done. Is what they're going to say. You know. Well, Greg, I do that sometimes in terms of like reading in clumps because it does make it easier oh, yeah. I, to digest I, it all. I, and that is the frustration I know you guys face no, I, with the monthly issues and stuff. And, you know? and I absolutely understand. I don't begrudge anybody doing it, right? I'm just painfully aware that I'm sitting here busting my hump on this, you know, and 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 this is it's going to sound a little bit like here's the tiniest violin in the world playing just for me but you know there's there's this sense of like i'm not really making this i keep thinking of that olivier quote of why don't you try acting young man you know it's like you're you're a fiction writer why don't you just make it up you know you could that's do when, that that's what someone asked olivier you know yeah, yeah should i have a hump should i ever should i have a mustache should i have a wig <laughs> Well, now, wasn't that set to Olivier? Wasn't that the, was, the, what it was? The, 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 the apocryphal story, and I remember reading an account of it in something, so it may well be true, is, is, is the filming of Marathon Man, and it's you know before the, the, that epic torture sequence where he's going to go after Hoffman's character with the dental drill. And Hoffman had spent been out like the whole night running through Central Park and getting himself ready for the, the shoot that day and in the rain. And he shows up and he just looks wrecked, you know, and Olivier comes out, you know, and he's had his nice breakfast and he's in costume and makeup. And he says to him, yeah, good Lord, dear boy, what happened to you? And Hoffman was like, oh, I was, you know, I was out all night. I was, I was, you know, I was prepping. I was prepping for the scene today, and Olivia says, "Why don't you try acting, dear boy?" <laughs> so I think in that more than anything else, we know what Mr. Lawrence thought of the method. Um, That's you awesome. know, uh, That's and and it sort of I guess goes back to what we were talking about with regard to artists. You know how how each of them gets there is how each of them gets there. They get there in their own way. What clearly worked for Hoffman, did not work for Sir Larry. Um, but but I think your detail, and I do think this back matter, is something that maybe as digital evolves, you might be able to go back to, and really, certainly in the case of Lazarus, put a minority report sort of spin on display. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Or, you know, I mean, God, whatever, uh, I, I didn't get my uh, virtual reality uh uh, specs in the New York Times, like everyone else oh, did, I guess, oh. over New Year's. 
And but but you know, I mean, if that suddenly becomes common, you know, I, who knows? But I mean, that that might be something. Oh, yeah, when I was in, we could be talking about that ten years from oh, now. I, I think it's closer than that. When I was in Australia um, in September, there was a young man who had developed a technology and was clearly being financed by some really like big corporate rollers that you had the app on you know your smartphone and you switched the app on and it would activate your camera and when you put the camera over the page of the comic elements of the page would animate and sure. not only would they animate but you'd get sound and everything so and then depending on how you moved the cam- moved your phone the page interacted differently so that it would reveal different text. It would, you know, all of these other things. And, you know, the first thing Nicholas said is, oh, my God, we've got to do that for the use of magic. Sure. You know, um, I mean, you imagine what it would look like. And I totally, I, I, I absolutely dig that. I get it. There is a piece of me that's, yeah, I think conservative enough with regards to comics. You know, I What's a motion comic? A motion comic is, you know, is something that doesn't know if it's animation or a comic. And once <laughs> once we start adding elements of animation, uh, one can make an argument that it's no longer a comic. So I don't know. You know, I, I do think more specifically with regards to Lazarus, the ability to do like an annotated digital edition of Lazarus, right? Mm-hmm. Where you exactly. would be able to, you know, tap your digital reader or, or key something and it would hot link, you know, and it would give you whatever explanation or it would jump to fa- yeah, family. Guide kind exactly. Of. Yeah. 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 And that, exactly. that could be yeah. really, really cool. Um, well, you know, Brian Haberlin too, with anomaly, his giant graphic novel mm-hmm. does a lot of mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But see, there's a lot of, I, I, I don't know another way to put this. There's a lot of extra work involved in that. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of labor. <laughs> There's a lot of labor there. And I've got enough to do right now. You know, it's like. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like 10 years from now and yeah. when, when you know, uh, this could be something you could go back to and, and add an interesting little back with, with, a, with maybe a corporate partner or something yeah. like that. And I be able know. to say here's the complete. Well, when it's all completed and you could get this edition right. or whatnot. That could be yeah. pretty cool. We had talked at one point, I don't know if we'll ever do it, but we had talked at one point about doing like a Carlisle app that you could download for your phone awesome. or whatnot and, and that <laughs> would have like a globe that you could spin and, you know, wherever you tapped on it, it would tell you the family and what was going on there and it would update as, you know, the story arcs progressed and progressed. so on. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, you know, all right. okay, great idea. All it takes is time yeah, and money. <laughs> You know, all it takes is time and money. I don't, yeah. I don't have much of either, so, you know. Well, I just, you know, I mean, again, I know you're making a comic. And forgive me, because I don't remember if you said there is interest in Lazarus or not. Oh, yeah, as, no, as no, as it's, 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 it's being developed for television right now. So. I thought so, okay. Yeah, yes. yeah, we're, we're... What's the update on, yeah, what's the update on that? I know it was two months ago. Yeah, we're, me, no, no. Should have got back and listened. No, we're moving forward. Um think where we are oh, right now go. is, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really have much more to say on it. I think the goal okay. is in the next couple of weeks, uh, hopefully we will, 
we will have some things to announce. Um, because for the non-Lazarus readers that, are, and I don't know, most of your Rucker fans are probably reading Lazarus. But yeah, you know, these are like the Dharma kind of films and uh, Dharma initiative kind of things we got in Lost, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, and I think. Go on, I, you're say? No, no, I was going to say, uh, look, I, I would think in the next, I would say in the next two to three months, we should probably have some news uh, okay. about how that's moving forward. Um, Excellent. But until then, I'm I'm going to keep mum. I don't want to put myself in a. Uh, I don't want to jinx anything. Sure, man. No, no, I understand that. Um, no, it's uh, God. Uh, there were some real, you know, moments during Poison that I think, you know, we're we're like, okay, how, did, how are they going to work out of this? Yeah. And um, obviously, we <laughs> we see the fruits of it in the cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, not, some of them. Is that a cliffhanger? I'm not sure how cliffhangery it is. It seemed to me fairly resolved. Um. Well, there's a new status quo that's – yeah, and there's a new status quo that's about to uh, start up, but also, yeah, planting uh, some like. Well, it depends. I mean, we see – what do we have? At the end of Poison, we know that Joe is is running the family. Right. We know that Forever is mangled uh, coming out of Duluth. She has lost a leg. Um, and Casey says that she's not dead. Um, question is whether or not we, we believe her. Uh, and then I guess the, the big moment is Sonia is surprised by a young woman who introduces herself as forever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, Oh, I guess I should have said spoilers before I said all of that. If you haven't read 21, sorry, just ruined the ending for you. Um, well, this will come out. This will come out in about a week or so. So uh, you know, and and I'll and we'll put the we'll put yeah. This. We should definitely make sure we disclaimer it because for those people who are trade waiting, we're going to blow the ending. That's uh, true. So yeah, and I, and I actually I don't want to do that. Um, the trade comes out next month, February, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Poison trade will be out in February. That's cool. Very cool. So. Yeah, I mean, well, it, there are all sorts of things. If there are quick, if you got questions, ask them. You know, <laughs> are you saying to me, or yeah, are you saying I mean, to? If there are questions there because I, I don't know what to offer. Uh, you know, my my gut is to. You know, my, no, I think my gut is to keep my cards fairly close to the. Chess yeah, there, so I, I don't know what are valid questions and what aren't. You know, I, I don't. I, yeah, I wouldn't have any questions per se than to see where the story goes next because you know, no, that's the thing. There's been the shift in power in the Carlisle family. Fine, um, you know, how is it? Hauk? Hawk. It's Hawk. Okay, because yeah. I always forget. Like, because I always think of Ralph Hawk. The uh, the no, it's, it, 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 it's Hawk. It's a it's a very lazy it's anagram. Okay, it's yeah. a very lazy yeah. anagram of Coke. Uh. Okay. <laughs> And I think you might have said that last time too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean the Hawk, you know the the Hawk family is still out there. We've got the guy uh, trying to revive uh, Carlisle Senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, I, you know that's fine. I mean, you know, he's he didn't die. No, no, <laughs> Malcolm. Malcolm is not dead. Malcolm. So, Malcolm so has we'll stabilized. How, yeah. Now the question yeah, so is. We'll see what, now the question is how long will it take him to recover? And, right and truly, well, come back to full power. I mean, this is like Brando, yeah, post getting shot and everything. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, and 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 what do you, that's that's actually not a bad analogy at all because here's here's Brando looking at Michael and going, "I didn't want this for you," 
Right. But but knowing that Michael has to take it, right? Malcolm is not looking at Joe and going, I didn't want this for you. Uh, but you have to take it. Malcolm's got a different different take on it. I think I think empirically Joe is the required war leader. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. And one of the things that I really wanted for her coming out of poison and what will become evident in Cull is that she's a very good leader for the family and arguably better than her father. Sure. Um, that there is – people seem to forget – you know, because of the, the nature of the world, Carlisle appears to be the lesser of, of the evils. Um, but this is the world Malcolm made. Um, and Joe has a moral pivot point that is not the same as her father's. Mm-hmm. Um, despite how she has appeared, um, she feels somewhat differently about the status quo of the world. And is now in a position to start making some changes. Well, that was the thing. She was going to leave the family, right? To to wasn't she going to leave the family? Or? Yeah, she was getting ready to bug out because she figured. And that's the thing. And now and now she's got the opportunity to change things herself yeah. from within the family. Yeah. Well, now she's got the opportunity to to rule the world. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's the thing. And I'm sure Malcolm's not. Yeah, sure. Here's the keys, son. Mm-hmm. I'll just uh, I'll be off on the tennis court. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to so. retire. I don't think so. I've waited this long to let you do it. No, I don't think so. so. Right. So that's that's what I mean. So yeah, there's no real questions to ask. It's where you take us next, and that's that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. well, and I know. No, we've, I, we've got I, some specific questions. I think that were asked on Twitter. So. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, we. I mean, yeah, I was even. I was either going to just uh, go through the books and then hit the questions. Yeah, I mean, however you want to do it. You know, let's go through the books first, and then and then go to the questions because sure. you know that. But it, I just wanted to ask too about the source book. Yeah, what else can you tell us about it? Well, uh, that's going to be written by myself, uh, David Brothers, Eric Troutman, and uh, Robert McKenzie and David Walker. And McKenzie and Walker, uh, I've gotten to know over the course of doing Lazarus. Uh, this they write these very in-depth critical analyses of, of Lazarus for nerdspan.com. And, um, and they're phenomenal. Uh, I've, I've talked about them before. You read these things. And they're not the only people out there doing them, mind you, but they, they, were, the, they were the first that I was aware of. And um, uh, when I was in Australia, I got a chance to, to meet and talk with them. And they had not only questions about the world, but each of them has sort of areas of professional expertise where I was like, ooh, that would be interesting to exploit. So the Carlisle source book is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be, what, it's a 32-page comic, um, but it's primarily going to be text uh, with graphics as opposed to, uh, it's not a comic narrative. Sure. It's going to have sections on Carlisle, meaning how the domain works, how governance of the domain works, how certain programs within the domain work, you know, how the military works. It's going to have bios of certain characters, some of whom we've met. So, for instance, you'll get Marisol's bio. You'll get Valeri's bio. Some characters that you haven't met. There's going to be a section on uh, the post on entertainment 
basically how uh, because the post is ubiquitous and it's something that again the the book really hasn't shown you've only really seen the post show up uh, it's been in the background a lot at, at places like Sequoia but the only place it was really crucial was in the lift arc you know where the Barretts were living out in in, in Muscle Shell up in Montana mm-hmm. in the, you know in this very isolated area and yet they were still tied into this thing that gave them, you know, that fed them Carlisle propaganda that served as phone, as mail, as news, as entertainment, as everything came through it. So the post is, is a major part of how Carlisle book governs and sort of controls. We're going to talk about that. There's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, the way, the, way I, the way we look at this is this is the gaming. We're all gaming geeks. We're all role playing guys so that we look at this as sort of this is a sort of source book that we would have wanted if we were doing a lazarus role-playing game sure absolutely so yeah i mean within that you're going to see you know extrapolations of certain areas and some questions get answered other things get opened up um and you know some of this is going to be fairly pertinent to how the story moves forward uh it's sort of taking the idea of the back matter, I think, and, and, and putting it on steroids, you know, here's, here's a whole book of value added content. Right. Right. So, and you know, I, uh, I, I'm not good. I've never been good in my career at going, here's what people want. Let's give it to them. I think that way madness lies anyway. I think the people who do that successfully are very few and far between. And I think the people who do it unsuccessfully are glaringly obvious and don't stick around for long. So by necessity, then, I tend to want to write and publish the things that I would want to read and then hope that other people would also want to read them. (laughs) So for the eight other people out there who would want to read this, we're doing it. Uh, Yeah, but this is is just like your stuff you've done for Lady Saber. mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's well. Actually, let's be honest. Especially when you were talking about, you know, having um, and I forget what you even called them uh, for Black Magic, but you sent me one of those like care packages for the crime box. Yeah, back, was, you know, but yeah, the uh, the Montoya journals. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Renee's Renee's evidence that she was going through. Yeah. She was investigating the crime Bible and stuff, and it was like these are fantastic. And you know, again, it it makes sense. So there's a progression of what you've been doing. Leading up to this, and I mean, and clearly the, the Lady Saber fans must appreciate what you were doing with that. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, actually, you know, because it was those people that obviously responded through the Kickstarter yeah. that wanted those trinkets and things yeah. like that, and those did seem to go over pretty well. So sure. yeah, and then uh, let's see, and then Brothers is uh, we're exploiting Brothers, one of his many areas of expertise. I think he's going to do music for us. Um, so well, I didn't know he was a musician. Is he? he a musician no, he's a, he's a big. Mu- he's he is very musically smart. So um, this is not going to be audio tracks as much as him talking about the nature of the music industry under Carlisle. And so we've gotten a lot of questions about how how entertainment works under <laughs> under Carlisle under the under this world. I, and I will be very interested in reading. Well, that. and That's there's there's a legitimacy to it. You know, you do you do writing on boxing. You know, so well, here's well, no, but here's a question: Do you? Do you still have fights? You know, do you have that kind of organized, sure. you know, sp- well, sport? Is that out also, there? And if yeah, so, also how does it work? Going. You know? Absolutely. And, and well, we already know. I, no, I mean it honestly in terms of we, I, we already know the corporate influence on popular music. 
given the how the corporations run amok in the Lazarus universe, uh-huh. how does that influence music? Absolutely, man. Well, and I've had, no, I've, you know, I mean, the, the people out there who know that I'm, you know, I'm a huge soccer fan are like, you know, which family owns which team? <laughs> and do, you know, do these things still exist? And the answer is, of course they do. You know, what's, what's one of the greatest mythologies in our culture is, you know, here's the, here's the, 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 the impoverished kid you know, who's, who's playing sport in the street, you know, who then gets discovered and, and, and becomes a multimillionaire, you know, because of his raw talent. Those sort of aspirational stories, that kind of stuff is really crucial if you're going to maintain a governance that's going to be, you know, pretty much built on the exploitation of the poor. Absolutely. You want to create mythology that allows them... Uh, you know, that, that allows people to believe, yeah, that can be me. Right. Yes. Absolutely. No, I like it. I know. And that's why I'm laughing. I think I can only imagine what, what he's going to come up with. Yeah. So that's great. That's terrific. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. No, we're looking forward to it. So yeah, there's going to be, there's some stuff that we weren't able to put in some issues that I think we're going to try to go back and, uh, and sort of play with a little more. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, we'll, we'll do programming guides so you can see what's on the post on any given night. Here's an example of, for instance, a TV show, things like that. So funny. Yeah. Very cool. No, honestly, it's a great opportunity for people to catch up and, uh, and prepare for what's coming in, in June or May, whenever, whenever, uh, whenever issue uh, 23 happens. Yeah. 22. Yeah. 22. Excuse me. Yep. So that's, so that's very cool. Goal. man. That's I like point. it. Great. Well, let's awesome. hope, just hope you'll feel that way when it comes out. No, I mean, <laughs> so uh, Black Magic, we're three issues in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and the, the mystery deepens, and we're about to get a new investigator that's, uh, you know, or uh, a new intruder yeah. that is coming with an investigation of their own. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Know, from some other force, some other coven, yeah. or whatever. We're not sure. They could be watchers. I, I thought it might be like kind of a Buffy watcher scene. Well, as much yeah, as it could I mean, be I a think, competed I th- coven. I think that uh, I don't know. I think I think it's it's not overt in the text, but it's not um, it's not so obscure that you know we see that the symbol on the lighter and what Alex and and Rowan have been saying about you know this symbol. What, what that symbol connotes that organization um mm-hmm. and the and then we see you know and when we at the end of the issue when we when we meet brother stefan and so on you know there's there's that freaking there's the hammer inlaid on the floor so hopefully the <laughs> causal relationship has been drawn um and that there's the, the implication is that it's a group of witch hunters um, and it's a long-standing group of witch hunters. And then if you go back and you look at early back matter, you can start to draw certain connections. Um, Got it. So, yeah, we have, we have the introduction now of a new force um, that is certainly going to complicate what's going on. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any question about that. So, <laughs> um, and that I really have to sort of stay kind of close to that. That I'm going to be very cards close to the vest there are we we've we know from the actions of the first two 
three issues from what's been said between Rowan and Alex, that there is clearly another faction at work, right? This faction mm-hmm. that took this guy, Rowan White, and wound him up and pointed him at, at, at our Rowan, at our, at our, at our hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see at the end of three what is presumably this other faction. Um, that is what's been presented so far. Saying anything more tips my hand. Understood. So, yeah, man. It's only three yeah. issues in. I, I get it. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're yeah. early days. We're still early days. So I can appreciate that. Very cool. Yeah. But but uh, getting to Stumptown. Yeah. And the coffee story. That's no, that's great, man. Yeah. I am. I now is is that a real coffee or is it because it, it reminded oh, me of Luwak? It, yeah. Kopi Luwak. Yeah. Because I remember actual... Jamaican. Is that different than Jamaican Blue Mountain? Because wasn't oh, yes. James? Because uh, so I've heard of the, you know, uh, the the coffee beans that are processed by you know uh, animals yeah. eating them and and shitting them out basically or peeing yes. them out whatever. Yeah. No. 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 Crapping them out. Yes. Crapping them out. Yeah. 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 They, well, as you say, cat shit coffee. That's how uh, Dex uh, describes it. Yeah. It's it's the it's the uh, it's 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 the the civet. Which is a, 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 a type of feline eats the coffee cherry, and uh, in in doing so digests the the cherry fruit and excretes you know yeah excretes the seeds, and then the seed is then collected, cleaned, and roasted. And yes. there are people who believe this is the finest coffee in the world. So Have the second it? it became. Uh, yeah, I have. I wasn't terribly impressed. I'm sort of with Dex yeah, on I've had it. All right. Because I know <laughs> I've had it too, and I couldn't remember because I've also had Jamaican Blue Mountain, and I couldn't remember if it, that's yeah. just a where, you know, that's a different. Uh, at one time, that was the big high end coffee and stuff. Yeah. But, and, uh, and, well, and I, you know, I'm more than willing to accept, you know, Weeks in the story talks about it's very clear that his, his palate is a very sophisticated palate, and he's based. <laughs> He's based off of the character is based off of um, uh, an actual uh, guy who passed away this past year, um, who was a, a tea guy, uh, and really was an amazing human being. Everything that I read about him, I never never met him, but everything I read about him, I was just like, this guy's awesome. Um, he's named after a friend of mine. Uh, he's named after the the writer Patrick Weeks. Um, okay, but but the guy is. Based on uh, a tea maker uh, by the name of Stephen Smith, and you know there are people out there, you know, and you get it with sommeliers, you know, the, who have yeah. these incredibly sophisticated, incredibly uh, educated palates, and they know what it is they're tasting, and they really know every nuance. I know good coffee from bad coffee, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know what I. I, I know what I like. You know, it's like art. Um, sure. So, so well between my uh, between my radio jobs, I I actually worked for Starbucks and did the yeah. whole barista training and learned about you know the various regions and you know I mean enough to kind of be able to you know describe different tastes to different uh, coffee drinkers and stuff. And yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way in terms of I know the kind of good coffee that I like. And yeah. yeah, but it is it, it was it cracked it cracked me up because yeah, it's certainly you know Portland, Seattle, close enough and everything. So there's that coffee, coffee and tea culture, you know, certainly I'm yeah. sure up there. 
so well, yeah, no, cute. it was perfect, perfect for the location and everything. And, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, thought it, it was. It is, it's a great idea for a story. It is something that uh, Canell or David Chase would have come up for with Rockford if it was a 21st century Rockford. Story. Yeah, yeah. If it was, if uh, I like to think that if the, if Rockford had been set in Portland today, they would have had to do the coffee story. Um, in the same way that Hell, Dennis, can't we just get some Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> Well, I think eventually we're going to end up having to do the foodie story too, you know, because that's that's, that's oh, another be important thing, and maybe a beer story <laughs> at some point as well. But um, yeah, no. But the thing with Kopi Luwak is that, you know, as soon as it became a thing, um, because initially it was so labor intensive, because people had to go out and hunt down the civets wherever they were, and then you know you were you were basically hunting through the forest looking for civet feces to then collect clean and you know that that's labor intensive some bright people said hey you know what here's an idea let's just catch a whole bunch of them put them in cages and force feed them these things which is a great business model but is ethically problematic obviously of course it's ethically problematic but not the first time that's happened in in, you know (laughs) oh of course not yes or or may i introduce you to the humble mink for instance so (laughs) Yeah, you know, look at me so laughing, this whole thing. The PETA people love me. Well, right now. <laughs> shut no, up, John. But, you, but, but well, we're laughing because we 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 know what we're laughing about, which yes. is yeah. Yes. The, the, this is this is not the first time in human history that you know exactly. uh, somebody's found a way to horribly exploit uh, some aspect of nature to make a profit. Um, exactly. So yeah, so Weeks' whole thing is that his Luwak, right? is uh, ethically sourced on top of everything. Yeah, it's like range-free. <laughs> exactly. So he's got, you know, he's got the the rarest, bestest coffee made in the rarest, bestest possible way. Um, I jacked the price a bit on uh, on what Kopi normally goes for. <laughs> um, but I figured... Uh, I figured it was actually a reasonable inflation on the price, given everything that would have gone into creating it as he describes it and so on. Um, And again, you know, much like wine, if there are people, and we know there's been stories, you know, about the incredible cons and and so on that have happened around people chasing various bottles of wine and, 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 you know, the fraud and theft and murder that has occurred uh, as people have attempted to acquire these things. The second you do that with anything, the second you can commodify it like that, then it becomes something that people will commit violence for. Because at the end Absolutely. of the day, it becomes about the money. And yeah, much like you know, much like over in Lazarus, you know, if 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 you've got the thing and somebody else wants it, well, that that that's called drama. So, right, and it's worth exactly. It's worth killing for and everything. No, yeah. it's a it's a it's a clever MacGuffin. It's a very good. It's a yeah. well built MacGuffin. I think absolutely. Right. So, yeah, in well, the best I way, think one know, of the fun things understand. about, oh yeah, well, I, I trust me, I'm not offended. <laughs> I mean, okay, I ahead. think one of the things that <laughs> makes me happiest about about the arc is that um, I think it's it's incredibly absurd and yet entirely believable, and as yes. a result, it's 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 become, uh, and and I said this last time we spoke, you know, I think it's the funniest thing that uh, I've ever written actively, just because horses bewildered you know, at the ludicrousness of this situation. And then we throw in 
you know, well, then we throw you dro- in. You dropped out a second, so say say it again because you dropped out for a second. Oh, I, I was talking about the ludicrousness of the situation and how, you know, how absurd it is and how funny it is. And then, you know, into that mix, we add her sister and and get a whole, you know, a whole new drama out new of it. New depths so, of the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's its own entertainment. Um but I'm really delighted with how it's worked. And I think that sort of turning Justin loose on that comedic aspect as much as anything else uh, really brought it to life. You know, like I said, we talked about this last time, um, but I really think that sort of being able to recognize the humor in it and then running to it instead of trying to be grim, you know, and, and deathly serious about it, I think has served us very well. So. No, yeah. It fits the character and it fits the backdrop and everything. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Now, and how did you guys? Well, and it and it and it also works. Just... Oh, I'm well, sorry. You go ahead. You go ahead and say uh, how it worked. That we we must be having oh, well, our uh, Skype digital uh, time delays right now. But go ahead. Yeah, are we, I guess we're we're tripping over each other a little bit. Um, I was going to say the other thing that I think it it does is that where we're moving next, sort of uh, in Stumptown after this arc. It, it, we're going to move into some darker territory. So it, it's, uh, again, sort of talking about it, in, I guess, in, in context of Rockford, it allows us to balance that. You know, we, we have our humorous beat here. And when we make our turn to something which I think is going to be certainly uh, more serious and, and, and darker, uh, it, it, it will put that in relief, I think. So it, it, I, I think it'll serve us pretty well. Okay. Are there two more chapters then to uh, the coffee story? Or? One, one, one. Oh, so and, it's only a four, it's four parts. Nine. Yeah, it's okay. four parts. And then, and then uh, issue 10 is a standalone uh, Dex on a stakeout. And then it's going to go into uh, the new arc. And the new arc is, uh, is much darker. Much darker. Okay. We've, we've hinted at some of... Uh, at some of what Dex is carrying and some of what she is capable of being pushed to. Um, and, you know, we've made it, we've made it this far without her. I'm trying to remember. I don't think she's, you know, the only time she's ever fired her weapon, uh, was in this current arc. Uh, and it was most deliberately a warning shot. You know, it was very, it was very much a, um, it was very much a uh, back off, guys. Um, and starting with issue eleven, if you see that gun come out, you should be worried. Um, you should be worried. Okay. Uh, because when, when she gets, when she gets her mat on, uh, you don't want to be in her way. Uh, and we have not really seen her truly angry. We saw, again, edges of it in Case of the King of Clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she's been mostly really thoroughly annoyed in, 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 in the current yeah. arc. Case of Cup Yeah, Joe. absolutely. But, yeah, but, with her sister, exactly. Yeah, well, I think with her sister and with the absurdity of the whole damn situation. Well, yeah, because she still doesn't quite understand why everyone's fighting over coffee. It's good coffee. Yeah, yeah. it's good coffee. It's not great coffee. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, 
no, I like it. It's 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 funny. It's very it, truly. This is probably my favorite Stumptown story. I think it's great. Oh, good, good. So yeah, well, no, it hits me. I mean, I'm a I'm a coffee achiever. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> as they used to say back in the '90s or '80s, yeah. whatever the hell that it's, was. It's the lifeblood of the profession. So yes, absolutely, man. So, well, let's uh, let's uh, get some of these questions. We got a ton because I even opened it up to Facebook as well. Oh, oh dear. All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so here we go. Let's. Uh, there's some fast ones to begin with. Let's see. Um, ben Castroluta on, uh, on. Boy, it sounds like a Harry Carey kind of name. Now batting Ben Ben Castroluta, everybody. <laughs> Leading off. Uh, uh, something like that. Uh, let's see. What's uh, What's one crime book that every fan of crime books should read? Mm. Vague, vague question. Um, <clears throat> I, if you're looking at nonfiction, I will always point people to David Simon's uh, original Homicide: A Year on the Killing Streets. Um, I think it's masterful. Uh, I think it was genre redefining. I think it is extraordinary journalism. Um, I think. Everything that David Simon has become is laid out in that book. I think uh, his follow-up, The Corner, um, mm-hmm. is is just as tremendous. Um, so, I mean, just just in terms of nonfiction crime works, I recommend those. Yeah, it's an excellent modern, <laughs> you know, in quotation marks story because that really does go back. Now that I think about it, twenty five years. Yeah, or so, right? it's not. It, they, they ain't that new, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and then, but, but and it sets the tone for really what has become yeah. modern crime fiction. Absolutely. Well, no, they're nonfiction works. So, well, I mean, but 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 I'm saying that the fiction that it's been based on, because yes, he wasn't, he isn't, or was a journalist, yeah. and was on right. Well, you get you get and, homicide, you, know, you get the you get the wire, you, you get the corner, yeah, you get the corner, you get Tremé. Um, all of these yeah. things are sort of born out of that. I think yep. fictional books. Look, I'm always going to go to. Um, I, I still think the Long Goodbye is one of the greatest novels ever written. Uh, Chandler. Chandler's The Long Goodbye. I love that book. Um, I love that book. I love uh, Lawrence Block's Eight Million Ways to Die. Though I know that for a lot of people, uh, that is actually not their favorite. Um, you know, when the Sacred Gymnasium closes which was the one that came that he wrote after it was the one that I think got all the awards and the accolades. But to me, eight million ways to die is, is a remarkable book. I haven't gone back and read it in a long time. Um, and I'm not sure how it would hold up. Uh, at the time it was, uh, it was doing some groundbreaking things with characters. I think now at this point people would look at it and they would go like, it's a little, you know, it's, it's, it's a little of its time. Um, and read the Stark series, you know, read the Parker series as written by Westlake writing as, 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 uh, Stark. Stark. Yeah. Yep. I think that, uh, yeah, the Parker books and I, I think, don't get me wrong. Darwin Cook's adaptations are wonderful, but really do yourself a favor yeah, and read the books. You know, I, I, I think that adapting, uh, I, okay, great. Read the books. Yeah. You know? That that, no, that I, they're fine as comics. They're books. Read the books. Yeah, they, no, they no, are. exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. It's you know, don't don't. I mean, that's the th- and I truly, I, I love what Darwin has done with the stories. They're a lot of fun. But no, do yourself a favor and truly read the books because 
they're they're classics. Yeah. They are absolute classics. They're classics. they're extraordinary, and they're extraordinary pieces of uh, just in terms of the craft of writing, uh, as well as just the nature of the fiction. So, I mean, if you have not read Westlake writing as Stark, read those. Those I, I cannot recommend highly enough. There you go. All right, that's a good that's a good uh, bedside uh, little group of books right yeah, there. Yeah, that'll that, that'll that'll occupy you for for a couple. There weeks. you go. We didn't even get to Elmore Leonard or anything. No, I mean look, there's there's a long list. Uh, there's a long list. <laughs> or Pelicanos, or exactly, exactly, man. There's a long list of of these guys out there, but but sure. The, essential. That's a good start. Essential crime. Yeah, I would say Stark. So I like it. Favorite movie of uh, 2015. Oh, Jesus. Favorite movie of 2015. Um, I'm not sure I have a single one. Uh, I have, love. Have, are you getting screeners? Are you I legit? am. I, finally, I, am, I am finally a guild member in good standing. Attaboy. So uh, I got screeners, and that allowed me to catch up on a bunch of stuff that I had not yet been able to see. Um, I love Fury Road, I think, like almost everybody else in the comics industry who saw it. I thought Fury Road was terrific. Um, I just saw The Big Short, and I really thought it was fabulous. Excellent. Um, I saw Trumbo. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I saw, Trumbo. Trumbo, I saw Trumbo recently, and I really like Trumbo, but I think, I think I like The Big Short more. Um, okay, I want to see them both, and yeah, I haven't had a chance to see Trumbo or uh, Big Short yet. But go on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, my favorite, you know, and then I love The Force Awakens. So I, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, that's a hard one for me. You know, favorite movie? There were a lot of movies I liked. I, oh, it, please! It's hard for me to pick the one that I like. I like this one most of all. Um, they provided, no, I agree with you. You know, I'll tell you a movie that I thought was horribly underrated that I adored. I thought Man from Uncle was terrific. This is what I keep hearing, I, and I have yet I, I got to watch it. I thought it was terrific, and apparently nobody saw it, um, and it did not do well. But it was absolutely, uh, I mean, it was absolutely enjoyable. Just it was smart, fun all the way through, um, and you know, just in a realm of pure entertainment. You know, that's that's a surprisingly big ask these days. Um, I loved Ex Machina. I don't know if that was this year. It was this yeah. year, and I thought I agree with you. I think it was excellent yeah, as well. Yeah, I thought Ex Machina was great. Um, what else did I see? Actually, so I started seeing more movies. Uh, Matt Fraction and I, every now and then, managed to coordinate our schedules. And there was a period where we were going, like, every Tuesday – we were going That's out great. to a movie theater and catching like the late show of something. You know, like, what do you <laughs> want to go see? Let's go see this. And then we would end up in this very lovely theater, and it would be just him and me. <laughs> and we'd <laughs> close the place exactly. Out. <laughs> we'd watch whatever it was, and and, and that was that would be nice. So and that's how we uh, that's how I saw X Machina. I really liked X Machina, but I missed a lot of stuff. Like I still haven't seen Inside Out, and I've heard Inside Out is just fabulous. Um, Me too, but I'm but I'm also like I heard it like rips your heart out as yeah, well. Yeah. I'm like I don't know if I need that. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Well, surprisingly, a Disney Pixar production that that guts you. Well, how shocking. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, how about Bridge of Spies? I did didn't. I it? haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I do have I that really screener. I do have that screener, but I haven't seen. I really it. liked it. Yeah, I really really liked I, it. I want to see it for all the obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask when you when you were saying about Man from Uncle. Isn't it interesting that 
the fun spy movies and actually the fun spy parody movies were better than the Bond movie. I didn't see Spectre. Um, and again, it wasn't for, uh, it was simply because timing was really bad. Sure. Uh, sure. I heard, November was a great month for me. I saw a million things. Yeah. Go on. Well, and I hear, I've heard really mixed things about Spectre. I've heard people really liked it and I've heard people really didn't. Um, it was fine. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was horrible. I thought it was very par for the course. And from that standpoint, I was disappointed. Yeah, I had a friend say to me, well, if you like Skyfall, you'll like you'll like Spectre. Um, I like Skyfall better than Spectre. You see, and, and, you and I'm, 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 very, I'm very mixed about Skyfall. There are things about Skyfall I quite like, and there are things about Skyfall that I'm like, why? You know, yeah, why, I understand why that, too. Why did you do this? Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw Rogue Nation. I really liked uh, Rogue Nation. Still haven't seen Rogue Nation. And, okay, and I'm good to know. Uh, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed Rogue Nation. And I think one of the things that I del- really liked about Rogue Nation was it just felt like a really grand episode of Mission Impossible, um, as opposed to here's a huge movie. It, right. it felt like this is an episode. Uh, That's great. And and I kind of dug that. There sure. there are a couple moments in it. There's a moment at the end where I feel. That the story sort of went, made a decision that I'm not sure it had justified doing with regards to a character's behavior, but that's okay. Uh, it's my quibble, nobody else's. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've got to go back. The thing that's been singing to me most right now, the thing that I think has been most rev- if if I have to pick favorite, I might say Ex Machina. I think cool. I think I may have to go to Ex Machina. It was a great sci-fi movie. Yeah. It was great, tight. In the same way that I love uh, these Black Mirror uh, TV episodes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where it's just good, smart science fiction that, you know, would make a great Outer Limits, you know, 20 years ago or obviously during the original run. And there were very few great Outer Limits episodes, but... I I gotta tell you, I like the '90s Outer Limits. Yeah, I really did. I thought it was a, a, a decent science fiction show. The uh, you know, I mean, there was that period. Was it early '90s, late '80s, when they you know they tried to bring Twilight Zone back? They were doing mm-hmm. uh, was it Amazing Stories? What was the? Well, Amazing Stories was early '80s. Was that early that. '80s? Where they they were trying to do the anthologies again, and they never seemed to mm-hmm. really get off the ground. Um, I don't know why the, the modern audience doesn't seem to, to to go to that. Black Mirror seems to be a rare exception right now. Well, and the great thing is, like many great British television shows, you know, here's three. Yeah. Here's three really good ones. Yeah. Don't give us 26 and, you know, seven of them are exceptional and the rest are okay and stuff. And that's, you know, been finally t- American TV is moving more in that direction yeah. because it can. Yeah. Yeah, I think mean, so, the nature of the model is allowing for it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I, I'll i say Creed, by the way, is another you one. You see, and I haven't seen Creed yet. And I would really yeah, like to it. see Creed. So Loved it. I still haven't seen Southpaw. And I've got to, I've got to catch up yeah, on that. I haven't seen Southpaw. Yeah, well, see, and you're, you're, you're the boxing guy. So at there some you point, go, you and I have to have a, uh, have a sit down, uh, unrelated to any of this, like next time I'm in Chicago or whatnot. And you need to educate me in the sweet science. Any time, man. Right. Oh God, good. I need I need boxing friends. Good, okay. please. I, but I get but I can also appreciate the people that that dislike it because it is it's a filthy sport. It is a and it's and it's a terribly violent and the concerns in football 
uh, and especially what they're learning more and more about concussions really does make me worry about boxing and also my love for it. And, I, and really, if it does, if it's as bad as it, what they're saying about football, if they can connect that same thing to boxing, then yeah, I could, uh, well, I could see gonna, myself abandoning this. They're, they're going to, well, I, I don't think that that's, yeah. a, I think that yeah. that's a logical extension. I don't think that's a long leap. It's interesting yeah. because, um, my son has gotten boy, we have strayed so far from answering questions. Oh, it's all right. My son has gotten interested in <laughs> in Sonny Liston. Um, wow! And, Did he read the Tatches book? No, um, but he's Go he's on. now sort of like going out and, and acquiring this stuff, and that's sort of now gotten me researching um, and and well, realizing Sonny Liston stories for both of you. Oh, uh, that that'd be terrific. True. But I mean, so you know, the the sort of that is leading to. Um, uh, its own education, and, uh, and that all came out of him hearing um, Mark Knopfler did a song. Um, I think it was just "Blues for Sonny Liston." Um, That's and, I don't know that song. I, was that a recent one? Um, like last ten years or whatever. Oh yeah, 15? yeah, last ten. It's it's off. Oh, of, interesting. It's off of. Which album is it? It's not Kill to Get Crimson, and it's not, um, and obviously it's not Tracker. I think it was. I think it was off of Get Lucky, might okay. have been, um, wow. but it might have been earlier. I would have to go back and check. I'll let you know. I had no idea. I had no idea. But yeah, okay. so that's that's what sort of uh, led to his curiosity, which in turn led to mine. So. Reading up about the two uh, Ali Liston fights and so on has been interesting. Sure. So, yeah, anyway, okay, whole different thing. Next question. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, here's, all right, let's see here. I want to get the full question here. Andy Waterfield asks You've spoken in the past about consulting military intelligence experts during writing. Mm. Have they ever given you real life info or insight that you consider too far fetched for your audience to take seriously? Yes. <laughs> it's a short answer. Um, I have had, and normally it's anecdotal. Um, I had a friend once tell me the story of uh, uh, a guy that he knew uh, who was listed as having one uh, military occupation specialty in MOS. Uh, and them being out drinking one night and my friend saying to him, so I was looking at this and this and this, and it says your MOS is this, and that's not your MOS. And, uh, and the guy he was speaking to basically saying, nope. (laughs) Being like, so what's your MOS? And, And his response was, just say it's something I can do from about a mile away and no wind. Um, which has always struck me as one of the, that's, that's a Wolverine answer, right? That's the, I'm the best of what I do and what I do isn't very pretty. Um, there are a few like that. Um, you know, there's certain rules of thumb that I worked with that then, and, and every now and then, every now and then somebody will say to me, you're very, very close and I can't say anything more. Uh, and there's a piece of me that doesn't want to know, you know, uh, I think (sighs) 
what's the line? Is it the Le Carre line? No, I can't remember who wrote it. It's the the, the line about um, rough men ready to do violence to uh, to allow others to sleep in peace. I think is is I'm mangling the quote, and I can't remember who whose it is. But it's something about like the the, the defense of freedom stands on. You know the actions of rough men ready to do violence, <laughs> and and it, it is that there is a sort of uh, hawkish pat on the back, you know, uh, yay war element to that, which which I am not uh, obviously a, a subscriber to, but I think that there's also, you know, there are certain truths that I think there's a reason that is not known to the general public. So there are things that I don't want to know. And then there are things that I feel I've figured out that I would rather not have done. I've done research for books where I've looked into some really, really dark holes and been like, I never want to, I never want to look in that hole again. Um, and, and that I think honestly damaged me in ways that I did not see for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> You yeah. know, there was the the research I did for, for the novel Walking Dead for the Kodiak novel. Mm-hmm. Um, about three, four years after that book, and Jen and I were talking, and she said, that book fucked you up big time. She said, you know, you still haven't recovered from it. And, you know, it wasn't until she said it that I was like, you know, she's right. Wow. Um, and... You know, I, I so yeah, I, I I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I, okay. I don't want to. I mean, that's the. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to make. I feel like it, it sounds self-aggrandizing in some way. Like, oh, look at how I've suffered for my art, and that's not what I'm saying, um, at all. I just, I think one of the things I've discovered, you know, now that I have some wisdom is that there are certain points where I want to stop looking. You can get off the train. And we live in a world now where, you know, you can, you can see people live streaming their mall assaults. You know, you can, you can find, you know, video of people committing horrible acts. Um, it's, I couldn't believe some of the military film yeah. that is available. Yeah. And I know guys that, yeah, have, like, taken me to sites that are not obvious sites and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you want to see him blow up, a, you know, a tank? You know, and then with night vision and, and every, And it's like, holy shit, that's – I'm watching people die? Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's the line about, look, what's seen cannot be unseen. And it's true. Yeah. You, yeah. You, there's some stuff that you look at and you're not going to be able to put it down. I mean, it's going to stay with you. Yeah. Um, Well, on a lighter one, I will go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 no. I have a lighter example. Yeah, go. Um, Give me a lighter example. Okay, because honestly, it was crazy timing, but you have the essay at the back of Lazarus and uh, about uh, DNA dust Mm -hmm. and that they are uh, working on uh, keeping um, uh, data on on DNA dust. And it's not not, um, human DNA. Because uh, they're at least the, what they were describing on, on the media today on on, uh, on NPR, uh, but it's basically because they're they're afraid of you know what would happen if like an electromagnetic pulse 
were to knock out the cloud mm-hmm. and and all of this information were to be gone and stuff and apparently they are they are able to keep data on this DNA dust and it you know doesn't take a lot but it's still a very expensive process to make it happen right but it won't be for and, long right exactly and that's exactly what they were talking yeah. about and literally it's on this week's on the media and I'm like I I heard that <laughs> Uh, early, like late this week, and then I read uh, Lazarus. I'm like, I just heard about well, this. And the, this yeah, and the piece in Lazarus was about using human DNA, right, to as as data storage, and that was back in 2012. So that's you know just now, just over three years ago, really. And in that time, you know, the iteration of that is, I mean, come on. Like I say, and this is the other thing. It goes back to the other question. Which is, I've always sort of used as a rule of thumb, or at least for a very long time as a rule of thumb, I looked at technology that we have in the public sector is an, on average about five years behind what the military is using. Sure. Uh, I think at this day and age, it's closer to 10 to 15 years behind. I think wow. that because, well, and, 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 and using that metric is probably flawed now, uh, flawed as well, because we're looking at an acceleration in, 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 in technology. So when we say, well, five years behind, a, one could argue, no, it's actually only three years behind. It would be the equivalent of 15, you know, 15 years ago, say. Sure, uh, sure. But we are always behind is the thing. That what you and I have access to versus what the, you know, 0.1% have access to versus what, you know, first world powers have access to that those governments have access to uh are are literally leaps and bounds ahead so you know i'm sure that if they have not at this point figured out oh how to um fully exploit human dna data storage it's because for one reason or another they found that it was not uh cost or technologically effective to do so and hence they've gone to something else i.e you know dust dna um and that makes sense to me you know so that's both cool and terrifying you know what did you just inhale you just you just inhaled the encyclopedia britannica do you feel smarter you know You idiot! You just sneezed away the exactly. That was that was all of recorded human history. Very nice, <laughs> nicely done. Sorry, you just blew your nose and destroyed the Library of Congress. You exactly. asshole! So yeah, there you go. All right, Oz, Oz Donald has a Star Wars question. Hey, Oz. Uh, uh, what and is it uh, his? He's at Alpha Zulu. Is his yes. uh, Twitter handle? Yes, because you know I, these are Twitter handles first, and they, yeah. uh, you know, yep, yep. a lot of people like, like for instance, Kelly Sue DeConnick is Kelly Sue Demonic right yes. now this month. Well, so. well, she's actually always Kelly Sue Demonic, but <laughs> go on. But Oz Donald asks, uh, what color and or style, <laughs> dual bladed, curved, or of lightsaber? And secondly, force push or force lightning? Oh, I'm 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 light side and I'm basic man. I would go with. Uh, a simple single-bladed green. Um, I uh, look. My favorite lightsaber design is Qui Gon's. 
I love that hilt. It's nice and simple. Hilarious. I, look, right. yeah, look, this is it. it I love Qui Gon. I'm not. I'm, this is I'm this is my you. deep geek, but I loved his hilt. I just love the simplicity. <laughs> I loved his hilt. I love the simplicity of that hilt. I look, look. I have in my office blueprints framed on the wall of the saber designs of Obi Wan and uh, Luke's uh, Return of the Jedi saber and and Obi Wan's uh, Episode Two saber. So nice. yes, I I am I am a lightsaber connoisseur of some some renown. Clearly, and uh, right, yeah, so I go I go I go with a basic green simple hilt because I feel that if you can't get the job done with one blade, you're doing something wrong. Fair enough. And then force push or force lightning. Oh, uh, same thing. It's force push. I'm not. I ain't, I ain't doing any of this dark side bullshit. Come on, man. No, no. Yeah, push is very effective. I think it's much scarier. And 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 can be used in many, many ways, you know. True. You, there are many things that can be pushed, you know. Not many <laughs> things respond to lightning. So, just saying. Uh, Kelly, Sue, and Bendis ask uh, when you well, guys are Bendis on the Well, Bendis asked a different question. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, Sue's asking, when are we getting together to game? Because what she's really asking is, when do I get to play the Wookiee that I want to play in the Star Wars game you promised me? The answer wow. to that is probably after Dashiell's Bot Mitzvah in February. That'll... Hey, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations to Dash. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, she's, she's, she's staring down wow. the barrel of, of, of her Hoftar right now and, and, oh, man. and loving every minute of it, let me tell you. But I yeah, figured, I'm sure she is. So, That's the luck to so kid. Kelly Sue, that's good, who could have emailed this to me but instead wants to make it out there publicly <laughs> – Figure, figure will plan for something the week after the bot mitzvah to get together and do character generation, and then figure by the end of February, early March, we're going to start a campaign. Um, we have to do some prelim work because I think there needs to be discussion of when we want to set it. Uh, now that now that TFA has been released, if we want to, we've got a lot of eras to choose from. True. Uh, True. And I think that there would be there's something to be said for setting something roughly uh, starting around the end of the Battle of Endor and moving forward into that 30 year gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be fun, as you did in your as you did in your comic. Uh, and the other thing is, and 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 Matt has to take it seriously. Uh, oh, was Matt blocking you? No, 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 no. It's just, it's just that Matt comes to the table and he's always got this little twinkle in his eye, and and it's like, oh, no, you got to buy in all the way. So this is this is a full buy-in. It's like you know, this, how many people are in the group? Uh, Jen, right? Jennifer Van Meter, my beloved right, right. bride, and yes, Kelly Sue, and and Absolutely. and the mighty Mister Fraction, and Matthew right. Clark. Oh, very nice. Yeah. That's a nice group. Yeah, so we got a whole, I like everybody in that group. So That's it's basically nice. one artist, <laughs> one artist surrounded by you know four writers, all of whom going, "Hey, can you draw my character?" <laughs> oh, that poor Matthew. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible, man. He's a good guy. Don't oh, put no, up on Matthew's, him. Matthew's fantastic. Matthew and I have been that's gaming. awesome. Matthew and I have been playing role playing games together since. Certainly, two thousand, if not a little before. So that's fantastic. Well, and you guys are right. Well, you're a writer, so like, are you and Kel and in the matter? Are you guys like writing modules and stuff? And... No, they, they they come to play. They expect me to right. do the heavy lifting. <laughs> and we have to decide. Someone asked. We have to decide on the system. That's the other thing. We got to decide what what system we're going to use. If we're going to use the new one, if we're going to use the D twenty. 
Star Wars system, or if we're going to go all the way back and use the old West End Games system. Okay. So is Brian asking for like a furry kind of? Yes, like Brian. Brian's was... asking yes. if I dress up as a cheerleader tonight, will you come over and spank me? Uh, and the answer is the last check didn't clear you, son of a bitch. Um, so that's him, that's him going, I don't understand that the same way. I don't understand you and fraction talking about sports ball. Um, so (laughs) that's him just having fun with us on Twitter. (laughs) I actually think, I actually think he's a little jealous and wants to come over and play. Uh, If he he asks really nicely, we'll let him come play. So. Hey, he does. He calls me an old man, yet he understands every one of my, mm-hmm. you know, pre nineteen seventy references. Yeah, because he is so. too. So exactly, man. <laughs> I know who I'm talking to absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, let's see. Uh, Forrest Helvey. I'm gonna. Oh uh, yes. I got to zoom into my uh, my print here because yeah, my eyeballs are short. <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh, yeah, he also agrees and, and wants this to happen actually right there on the Word Balloon. Wow, the, well, you know, if you want something like that, go listen to – I don't think he does the podcast anymore. Brian Posehn, huh. uh, Nerd Poker. Huh. Do you know about that? No, oh, the I've never heard of that. Playing. Oh, yeah, man, that must yeah. have been a and I, and I hope the feed's up there. But, yeah, I don't think – in fact, I, I remember hearing him saying he doesn't do it anymore. But it's too bad. But, yeah, for a while there they were doing uh, role-playing games and doing podcasts of them. Nerd Poker. So – all right, let's move on. Uh, oh, okay. Now, I did I did answer this one uh, from the long box, and uh, when people asked how did the two Star Wars uh, Force Awaken novels come about and how was the experience, we did talk about that in our last Yeah, time. we talked about it last time. The, the quick version is uh, Lord High Muckety Muck at Lucasfilm Publishing uh, in San Francisco is Michael Seglane, who uh, back in the day, uh, was editor on 52 and was m- my and J.H. Williams's editor on Batwoman. And he mm-hmm. and I have been friends for a very long time. And he called me up and said, do you want to write this novel? It'd be a middle reader thing. It's Han Solo set after, after uh, the first Star Wars movie. And uh, he called at the exact right time. And I fell all over myself and said, yes, uh, and wrote it, and they liked it. And I think as a result of that, my name was suggested for doing the Before the Awakening uh, stories, the, the Poe and Finn and Ray book. Uh, so they brought me down to Lucasfilm, and they put me in a locked room with a copy of the screenplay on paper that made it very, very hard to read and impossible to photocopy. And yet I was able to take copious notes and I gave them a proposal and they said, go write it. And that's how it came about. So it is, I suppose the quick version is it came about because I had a really good relationship with uh, a professional colleague uh, for over a decade. And he thought of me when he needed somebody to do it. Excellent. Will it lead to more? Do you, will you, do you, are you doing more? I think you said you were doing more. I, I don't know if I am or not. Uh, okay. I have indicated a willingness, and I have been told that that willingness is known, and they plan to utilize me somehow. Um, there has been some discussion. Uh, I may be doing something else. If I am, I certainly can't speak about it. So Understood. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, it's Star Wars, so they're not really going to have to dangle a very large bone in front of me to bite go. at it. Yeah. That, that hook is well baited. So, 
Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm slowly, you know, at first uh, there was so much immediate, like, response to Star Wars that it really pissed me off. So I, I didn't want to talk about it for the first, like, week or two yeah, yeah. That, that, it, that it came out. Um, yeah. I've, I've since talked about it with Dan Slott and Art and Franco. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy the new characters and can say all that, you know, with any without any fear of anyone going, hey, I still haven't seen it. Don't shush. Yeah. No. Look, I have no interest in spoiling it for anybody. I was delighted with The Force Awakens. My biggest relief was seeing on the screen what I had read a year prior and finally being able to go, oh, thank God I can talk about these things now. Um, There was one particular moment in the version that I read that was very clearly, you know, the fake scene. Because the, they, they had a oh. fake for one of the big things that happened in the movie. And I knew oh. it was fake when I read it. And as a result, I knew what it was they were trying to hide. So, you know, sitting on that for a year was like, ah! <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, look, look I, uh, it's Star Wars. Uh, like I said, yeah. that hook is well baited. So. Very cool. Um, Kate Kane. Mm. Nick wants to know if Alex is based on anyone in real life from uh, Alex, of course, from Black Magic. Uh, yeah, me, kind of. She's 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 got, I think, a, a lot of me, uh, um, the sort of snarky part of me that I don't let out very often. Um, I, I I'm very fond of Alex, and Alex is going to become uh, clearer and clearer over the next few issues. Uh, she's finally, you know, I mean, issue three is really her first big issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you kind of get to see, see her walk and her walk and, and her, and what you see of her in four, I love Nick went to town and there's some great stuff there. Um, okay. it's funny artistically, uh, I was talking to, to Nicola about this and I was like, Oh, you know, he's starting to really see some of Nicola's style in Rowan and she was like, are you kidding me? I wish I could get away with that. But Alex is much more my my aesthetic, to which I was like, I can see it, but not. Um, the nice thing about Alex is that she's very uh, protean. You're going to see an issue for her at her day job. And it looks like she's out of a Laura Ashley ad, you know, in, in her day <laughs> job. And then, you know, when she's when she's doing her thing. Yeah, she's at home, you know, and and literally her hair is down. So it's uh, yeah, she's she's fun. People are going to see more. But I mean, beyond, I can't think of anybody specifically. Uh, but I do think of of all the characters I'm writing there. Alex probably has far more in common with me than anybody else. Okay. Uh, favorite episode of the Rockford Files. Cliff oh Files. man. Yeah, you know, I've been asked that before, and every time I'm asked, I feel like I always get it wrong in this weird way. I feel like I'm being tested. Um, <laughs> there are a lot. Um, I really, 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 really am fond of Beamer's last case, um, which I think was a season four episode. Um, okay. And it's, it's about the guy who... Uh, Rockford, I think, is is away on vacation. He comes back to find this guy has been impersonating him. Uh, I think he's like a mechanic. It's been a while since I've seen it. But he's been telling everybody he's Jim Rockford. So Jim Jim comes back and he's in a world of, you know, trouble. And he's like, what? I didn't, what? What? So that's a favorite. 
Um, I always liked uh, the Girl in the Bay City Boys Club, I think it was, uh, which is, but and and I like it for a number of reasons, but not the least of which being that Blair Brown uh, is sort of the, the guest star opposite mm-hmm. uh, Garner in the episode, and I always have loved Blair Brown. And, yeah, I'm a big Blair Brown fan too. Yeah, she, talk about an incredibly underrated actress, and uh, and their chemistry was tremendous. Um, there are certain ones that I can't remember the name of it. The the PI convention one where where Tom Selleck's guy. Uh, Lance White. Yeah, we're Lance White. It's like Lance White and these other a, a whole bunch of there. There are all the different detectives there. Uh, yep. Like every time Selleck basically showed up as Lance White was terrific. Yeah. Um, I like I like Isaac Hayes' Hammer episodes too. Yeah. Um, though, though honestly, I was like I could talk about, but there's a piece of me that's like that, that's those are the. Forgive me for saying this, John, but those are sort of low hanging fruit for us rock. I can appreciate that. I, I understand. So, so yeah, that's uh, <laughs> there. You go. I gave, I, I, I gave him. I gave him a selection of answers there. So there, there, there you there go. There we no, go. Yeah, you did good. You did okay. Good. Do I pass? That's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, because it. And I, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about it too, and I'm going to have to rewatch because a lot of Universal Television got so formulaic in that period. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, Rockford is great. But it really was. I mean, you you watch like especially Me TV runs all those ninety minute McClouds and McMillan. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones. I mean, uh, you know, again, it, even Quincy. Yeah, you know, they're all these universal kind of like I said, it's it's the same group of writers, even you know that did write some Rockfords as well. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. were. Well, and there's there's a point where you're watching, especially the early ones, where you're like, and now here's the incredibly long car chase sequence, right? You know, where it's like, wow, this is not dynamic at all. You know, in in, in the <laughs> sense of, you know, fifty years, forty years later, we're looking at it, and we're like, wow, that's a high speed chase, is it? Uh, well, quick cut editing. God, exactly. and I think we've talked we've talked about this before. Mission Impossible, even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Barney, poor, poor Greg, you know, Morris is like bent over a safe for like 20 minutes of an episode yeah. <laughs> or hot wiring, you know, electrician's box or something like that. And with the Lalo Schifrin drums, it's like, do it already. Yes, it's like any time, any time you want to get it open, that'd be fine. <laughs> Barney's uh, locked up in an elevator. He's still, uh, he's still working on it. <laughs> I love, I love Peter Graves. God bless him. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see what else here. Um, well, and then uh, like we were saying, uh, Papa uh, fifty seven seventy one says those weren't flashback scenes, were they? With uh, Forever and Malcolm in uh, the Lift Ark of Lazarus. No, they never were. Yeah, and they were never presented as flashback scenes. Everybody assumed they were. Yep. But there was n- the only reason that they did was because that's what they they, they assumed. They they. But if you read. If you go back and you pay attention to the captioning that we have done about the location, you will note that we have always listed the number of permanent uh, family members at Sequoia. And that number has changed, but it has never been lower than one, even when Forever wasn't there or Bethany wasn't there. There was always one. Um, So, yeah. No, those weren't flashback sequences. That was all in the same 
Same timeline. Uh, Ian Perez, here's an essay question. What, if anything, do you feel you've learned about writing in 2015? Uh, What, if if anything? I've learned a lot. What has that been? Um, I have reconfirmed the need to scare myself uh, and, and to not 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 take the easy way um i have it's the biggest thing i think i've learned this year i've learned that uh for me a lot of what used to work doesn't anymore and that i've had to find new ways to write and and in that sense i sort of had to reinvent myself as a writer in my work process, the the things that I used to be able to do and used to work for me, I think very effortlessly have sort of faded away and they don't work anymore. And I've had to find new approaches and new ways to get myself uh, into a story. I think that has changed workflow. I've also learned that I think finally that I cannot I cannot make myself at, at this point I just can't I used to be able to fall in love enough with just about anything to do the job um I don't think I, I, I'm more than willing to cop to having written things that failed. I am not willing to cop to ever having phoned anything in. Sure. Because I don't think I ever have. But one of the things I think I've discovered in, in, in the last year is that I no longer, um, if, if I don't, if, if it's not going to make me happy, I'm not going to do it. And that's less a technique thing, I guess, than a professional thing. Um, but I think... I've reached a point in my life where I just uh, I, I'm, I'm no longer willing to take jobs where I'm not going to be happy doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I can't. And that was actually a remarkably hard lesson for me to learn. Um, you know, there are things that I've written this year that I'm not sure I learned necessarily something different from because it's it's very hard to quantify you know it's very hard for me to say what did we learn today i can look at things and i can say well i didn't know i could do that or i didn't know that that worked or i wasn't sure i'd be able to accomplish this or i tried and this wasn't effective this didn't work in in the before the awakening book there's this ray story right it's about a Mm -hmm. ten thousand word story it is okay. set before the events of The Force Awakens. Um, and it's her alone on Jakku. And the first half of that story is entirely without dialogue. Because there's nobody for her to talk to. Sure, much like we saw in the film. Exactly. Yeah. She's got nobody and nothing to say. And from just a craft standpoint, very interesting exercise writing that. Because it was essentially removing one of the fundamental tools of, you know, the writers from the writer's toolbox for the first half of that story. Uh, and I think it works. I think that it's 
still a very effective story. And I actually think part of the reason the story is so effective at its end, at its at its uh, at the denouement, and there's a fairly I would like to think uh, resonant emotional impact at the end of that story is because of that silence at the beginning of it. So. Okay. Very cool. I uh, let's see here. Oh, um, Kate Ken is back and asks why bourbon for Rowan and Black Magic. Most of your characters seem to be beer drinkers. What made her pick different? Um, Rowan. Uh, you don't fuck with Rowan. That's why. <laughs> Rowan is a Jack Rocks girl. <laughs> Rowan. Rowan. Yeah, Rowan. Yeah, I mean, I wanted her drinking something. What's the Robin Williams line? You know, if alcohol's a crutch, Jack Daniels is the wheelchair. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking more Sinatra with, with bourbon, especially when you said that. Yeah. That's true. That's why that's why Sinatra drank yep. it. So I, I think that that's, that's it more than anything else. I wanted it. That's part of her character. It's just that, that's cool. who she is. She, she's not a beer drinker. It's not that she won't have one, but... You know, after after the day at the office she's had, yeah, she'll have a bourbon. Thank you. I understand. By the way, I meant to ask you because I, I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. And uh, last month, they because of his hundredth birthday, uh, Turner was really uh, uh, amping up all the Sinatra movies every week. And uh, First Deadly Sin, you ever see it? I have not. I'd, I'd really be interested to hear what you thought of it because it was his last dramatic film, huh. and I and it was made in like eighty or eighty one. And um, he's like, you know, retiring cop that's on his last case kind of uh, thing. And I, I don't know. I like it. All right. I will have to track it down. Um, Dino. Uh-huh. Caruso Comics, uh, Dino, uh, asks, any plans for, any more plans for any new Atticus Kodiak stories in any medium? Uh, not at present. Um, we had been in development for a Kodiak TV series for a really long time, there had been a lot of really good development going on. We had gotten a pilot commissioned. We had been paid for it. Um, and then there was a changeover at the network, and they said, well, this is a great pilot, but we don't want to do this. And uh, pretty much as a result of that, all the timing with everybody I was working with sort of ran out. They were all doing other things. So Kodiak is, uh, is very much in limbo. The okay. next novel I'm working at, I'm sure somebody asks about, what are you yes. working on now? The, yes. Uh, the novel I'm working on right now is not a Kodiak. It's a standalone. Uh, I had an idea for a different novel a couple weeks ago that's just crazy enough it might work that also is a standalone uh, that may follow. But... You know, I would happily go back to Atticus when the time's right. There is a piece of me that's sort of like, eh, you know, where I left them was as close to a happy ending as he was going to get. Understood. I think we've had that discussion yeah, before. Yeah, so I, it's not that there isn't anything else to say, um, but I'm not sure I have anything else that I feel the need to say right now. If there's another Kodiak story in the works, it's actually probably not an Atticus story. It's probably a Bridget story. Okay. Okay. 
Um, also, uh, Dino asked, uh, I enjoyed Felon a lot. Would that ever continue or conclude? Uh, uh, I think Felon's pretty much dead and done. Uh, okay. Was that Matthew back in the day? That was Matthew. That was Matthew. That was the first thing he and I did together. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he and I have discussed other things, and we're actually working on something that hopefully 2016 will see uh, come to fruition. Um, God, you know, he told me about his one page that he did for that Max Landis current Superman American alien. Mm-hmm. And it is just one page, but I really love it. And it's really, you know, I, I, it's a combination. Obviously, Max laid out what we see. Yeah. But but really, it's a it's a great image, and a, and it really is this like great kind of one page Superman. You can you can make a story out of a single image, yeah. you know. Well, and you know, Matthew is he's, again, he's a terribly underrated talent. Um, so I think trying to find the right thing for him and me to do together is very much high on the agenda. That's like a goal for 2016. So if, awesome. if we can't get this one thing we've been working on off the ground. Uh, he and I have to have a sit down and figure out what else we want to do because we got to do something. Cool. Yeah, cool. we had a blast in Cincinnati. He and I seriously, we like hung out and uh, really enjoyed each other's company. He's a, we had a good time. He's just a good guy. He's a great guy. He's one of the real good guy. He's one of the Absolutely. sweetest people you're ever going to meet. No man, we went to we they're great great Chinese place uh, in northern Kentucky that's like uh, kung fu movies and Chinese food is fantastic. <laughs> we were laughing at what we were watching and decent food and yeah, we were just talking and. Started with your friendship and your you, you the three of you you and Jen and, and him and yeah we had a good time man good guy he is a great guy yeah very cool yep um let's see moving on we got uh, Aaron Kane would like to see uh, you pitch a new Batwoman book <laughs> and also Renee Montoya while you're at it okay. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Hey, nice. I don't think we talked about uh, the convergence question story at all. Yeah, and I fun. and it's funny because I was going through my my uh, notes for a best of for 2015, and I didn't include our talk because we had just talked in November, and I'm like, well, people might still be downloading that, right? So I, I went a little earlier, and I met and I found Gail's. Um, I talked to her about her Nightwing Oracle story, mm-hmm. and I said in the interview, I'm like, God, it's like you, you know, Nightwing and Oracle for Gail, and you with Renee. It's like it was nice to see you guys get back to those characters, and you know, yeah. for a final like swing or whatever, yeah. And I think in many ways, look, I, I don't know what the future is going to bring. Um, you know, right now I've got really no relationship with DC uh, whatsoever. Um, and I think that they have moved so far away from the Kate and, and, and Renee that that I wrote and the characters that I knew um, that writing them again maybe as as they've iterated now is is beyond me and frankly not something i have any interest in um mm-hmm. writing them as i knew them will always be compelling will always be uh, a, a magnetic pull for me you know i adore them getting to do those two issues you know of convergence with with cully uh were tremendous and for me were as close to closure as I think I'm ever going to get in this industry, at least working for the big two. Uh, okay. You know, so that's not to say I'm done, period. Uh, I, I've, I've learned that that is a very foolish thing to say. I understand. Um, but right now there's just no plans. And, and the way, 
you know, the way the big two work right now, uh, on their main franchises at least, I I just I don't think I'm a good guy for this that that environment anymore. I just don't I don't see it. I put in a lot of years in those environments and and I don't really have a whole lot to show for it. Um you know, the the royalties I receive for that work are really minimum. I mean okay. really minuscule. DC seems to now be putting back into print uh some of what I wrote for them, but there have been years, I mean years where what I did was out of print. Right. Um and you know, not the you know, not to be a dick about it, but those royalties matter. Um sure. that that investment matters. And See, you know, I'd much rather put my time and effort into creating work that I and my collaborators own, that we can tell the stories we want to tell, that we are not obligated to serving uh, a corporate entity that doesn't give a fuck about the story you're telling but cares only about the numbers. And frankly, at the end of the day, that's true for Marvel and DC. Sure. They can crow all they like about the brilliance of their story, but the fact of the matter is, if the book ain't selling, then the book gets canceled. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, if I'm brutally honest, you know, our numbers on Lazarus are canceled numbers uh, at the big two. You know, the book, the book would have been consigned to the dustbin of history long ago. Um, Absolutely. But the flip side of that is that, you know, those numbers may have been, you know, gotten us consigned to the dustbin of history, but we're developing a television show, and Michael and I are creating work, and 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 I, and I should say, and Jody, and Eric, and Santi, and Tyler, and everybody involved in this, we're all creating work that we're proud of. At the end of the day, we look at it and we go, "This is good." Yep. So, you know, I. I I put it. I tend to put it this way, and Jen jokes about this. You know, I left DC 2009. I weighed 240 odd pounds. Right. Last time I weighed myself, I was 179. That a boy. All right. Now that's not entirely not working for DC. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, there's been a little. Yeah. Yeah. You've gone through a few things. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah. there's been. There's been some exercise. I'm running now. Things like that. Well, that's good, <laughs> you know? too. Absolutely. I was thinking of other emotional issues, yeah. but yeah, that's good that there were positive things behind that. But, that's good. But Jen jokes every time I get a call from one of the big two, she says, you have to tell them that for every pound you gain, they owe you 10 grand. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah, that's, I'd love to write that contract. That's um, fantastic, man. But, you know, there's, there's something to be said for it. I, I was very unhappy. You know, when I left D.C., I, I, I was very, very unhappy. And it took me a very, very long time to recover. I understand. Um, so, you know, somebody asked, you know, would you pitch this? I don't want to make myself miserable. And as much as I love the characters and as much as I absolutely understand that there are a lot of people for whom those characters are very important and 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 my relationship with those characters what what i what i what I was able to give them with those characters matters enormously, and I am always going to be honored by that you know i 
I don't think I, I don't think they want me back, and I don't think the and I think the world has changed too much for me to to give to give that again. I just don't think that that opportunity exists. That's why Convergence was so special because it was an opportunity to use those characters as they were. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an event designed to use those characters as they had been. Yep. No, I don't blame you, man. And that's, that's great. And you know, I think you've done, that's the thing you've done that dance before and it's better to, I think you're for yourself as a creator to move on to different things and, you know, and if you were to come back, come back on, you know, terms that are good for you as well and that you can make money and tell the story you want to tell but make the money in the process so everybody could win should that opportunity come. And if it doesn't, that's fine. You do your thing. And really, this is what the image model keeps proving. Yeah. Um, someone's going to ask a question later on. We'll get back to it then. Uh, I'll move on to Aaron Kane who asks, do you watch Orphan Black? I think it's female heroines. I think it's female heroines are a lot like yours. I have not I, seen Orphan Black. Um, interesting. I have heard nothing but good things about Orphan Black. Uh, Orphan Black is one of those shows that's on the list. Um, I don't actually watch a whole lot of TV. Um, I, I actually really don't watch a lot of TV. Most of the TV that I watch tends to be boring nonfiction documentaries and things like that. Um, so, and, you know, I watch science shows. Uh, in, investing in serial television is, um, it requires concerted effort. Uh, yeah, a lot of time consuming, too. Yeah. yeah. And I am not living a life right now that makes it easy to do so. That said, the show's really on my radar. Um, I mean, it's very clearly on my radar, and I intend to see it at some point. Yeah, I'm a big fan, and I can see the similarities in characters. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, she also asks, or he also asks, Aaron Kane, would you ever write an America Chavez solo series? Uh, see previous answer, re Renee and Kate. There you go. Um, yeah, I would be delighted to be offered one. Um, I would have to look at the timing of it and the place of it. But I think the character's fantastic. So, yeah, again, not a hard sell. Okay, Randy uh, Ochoa is asking, how are you so good at drawing you in? Also, what will it take to get Nicola uh, Scott to draw? Oh, I see. <laughs> and then says, what will it take to get uh, Nicola to draw you into the book? Oh, I, guess... I hope she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, is... Is working with an editor for creator-owned projects like Black Magic different from having an editor on what's WFH? Uh, work for hire. Oh, work for hire, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's very different. Um, you know, when when you're when you're working with an editor on work for hire, it's okay. Um, we... Hi, Jen. <laughs> John, miss you, Jen. John says hi, and he misses you. Uh, she oh, sends her best. Yeah, with with just a high John, <laughs> just with a high John, beautiful. your heart is melting. Um, you know, work for hire editors are dealing with not just the project that you're working with them on, but they're dealing with you know everything else in the in the organization, right? They've got how many other dozen books, and these days mm-hmm. at, at both houses, at talking the big two at least, you're looking at editors who are. are 
I have no idea how many books they're now carrying at any given time, but they're carrying multiple books. And almost all of them will tell you that, you know, as much as they may love their job, they're overworked. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, they're obligated to, you know, they're obligated to the, the, the publisher's demands and requirements. And that's what they're serving. When I'm working with somebody like, say, Janine Schaefer, uh, on black magic, uh, you know, Janine's there to help Nicola and Jody and Eric and Chiara and myself make sure that the book is delivered on time, that the book is everything that the book needs to be, to be a good comic. Um, but she's there to make sure that the book is the book we want it to be. Um, she's not there worrying about is the book going to be the book that image wants it to be. Right. Sure, and yeah. that's a huge difference. And I can say, <clears throat> I can say the same thing about David Brothers on, on last an image employee. Um, you know what he provides for Lazarus is for Lazarus, so it is it is enormous. And 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 I can extend that to James Lucas Jones at Oni. Um, you know James's job, uh, you know as ed- editor, you know what is it, editor Elysimo for life. You know he's he's got he's got a schedule to maintain. There are a lot of books he's got to get out. He's got to get them out regularly. He wants to maintain the quality across the line. But at the end of the day, you know he's never going to look at me and say, "Hey, you know what would be great for Stumptown? Let's have an arc where there's you know uh, where where we where we fridge Ansel. That'll really bump the numbers up because we've got to have a line wide event or whatnot." He's never going to do that. Um, he's going to come back to me. He's going to say, well, you know what? I read the script and you did this thing and this seems to me really out of character. And I'll go, oh, hey, you're right. You know, or I can call him up and say, well, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And his response is not going to be contingent on, well, what does he think? You know, the larger corporate need is it's going to be what's best for the comic. What's how do we make the best book possible? Um, and that's an enormous difference. That is an enormous difference. And that is not to put down work for hire editors, right? Work for hire editors are, you know, there are some great ones out there. There are some awful ones. There are some great ones out there who are bending over backwards to try to get the books out that be the best that they can be. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, there are some battles that they are never, ever going to be able to win because you know, at the end of the day, somebody up in corporate says, this is what you're doing this month. And then that's what all the books are doing that month. Yep. You know, yep. and it doesn't matter if it wasn't planned for. It doesn't matter if that wasn't the agenda. So, you know, Janine's never going to turn to me and say, well, the numbers are soft, so we need an event. Let's do this. You know, <laughs> she's, she's just not going to do that. Right. Um now, I may well go to her and say, hey, our numbers are soft. Do you have any suggestions? And then we'll, you know, we'll brainstorm it. But, um, look, I, I love um, I love a good editor. I mean, a, a good editor is, is really a, a rare and, and precious thing um, in novels and comics. You know, a good editor is, is, is a rabbi, is, is a teacher – is you know is is a priest is uh, a traffic cop is you know a parent you know the, this is somebody who is who is there to support and guide and help <clears throat> and 
you know, some of the best work I have ever produced, I've produced because I've had really good relationships with the editors on those projects. And they have been able to draw that work out of me. Uh, I'm not interested in not having an editor. Um, I have never written anything so good it couldn't benefit from another set of critical eyes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I do. So there you go. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, Adam uh, Messenger asks, uh, when can we expect a creator-owned project from yourself and Jen together? You know, she and I have talked about it, and I'm not sure why it is we haven't done it yet. Um, we, we've, we've tossed around some ideas in the past. Uh, I think, I think we're getting closer to, to a place where we're actually going to do something together, um, when we have the right idea. But, you know, she has her own stuff. And one of the things, honestly, that she's had to deal with in her career is that, you know, there are enough people in this industry, um, who frankly, I think extrapolate our relationship incorrectly. That's, that's one. I think that she has had to juggle far more of our business than I do. You know, she runs Nervous Habit. She does all the books. She runs the household as much as, you know, I like to think that I contribute. Um, <laughs> but she's the one who does the books, you know. Okay. Uh, we've got two kids. And our yeah. two kids are now of an age where they require us far less than they used to. But, you know, her her work schedule was not everything that, it, you know, she didn't have a lot of time. I understand, exactly. And that's what kept her from yeah. really putting stuff out for a while, yeah. absolutely. And you're seeing now more stuff from her because we're now True. in a place where she, you know, she's got Dr. Mirage. She's got, uh, you know, Hopeless Savage's Break came out. She's got, yeah. uh, she's got something else that's going to hopefully be announced in the next few months that I think is going to be terrific. Um, I think we're getting to a place actually in both of our lives where we're finally going to be able to work together on something. So very cool. Yeah. And I'm actually really excited about that. That would be really, that's great. No, that's surprising. Honestly, I was expecting a, no, we tell our own stories and we, you know, advise each other, but you know, yeah, I don't, that's interesting. I'm not sure. I, I, I think that, you know, I mean, we're coming up on 25 years of marriage, (laughs) Um, we've known each other. Wow. Yeah. We've known each other a real long time. And I think, I think we can figure out how to work together. And that's part of it too, is knowing how to collaborate, you know, is, is its own thing. Um, sure. being able to, being able to co-write is, is a skill. Um, and I've co-written with a bunch of different people and it's mm-hmm. never the same thing. Uh, you know, everybody is different. So, you know, uh, making sure that we're each in a place where we can do it and we're each in a place where we can do it without pissing the other one off because we still live, each, live with each other, you know, is, is crucial. Um, and I'd much prefer to maintain, maintain a happy marriage than to put out another work with both our names on it. Uh, Jokey McJokepants asks. <laughs> I know. I know. I love that. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Uh, if you could live in the Star Wars universe... Would you, and what would you do? And I'm going to say right off the bat, I would not want to live in the Star Wars universe because it's a little, a little too third worldy for me. I'd rather, uh, I think, I'd rather be in the Star Trek universe, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, hmm. 
You know, if, 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 do I want to live in a utopian science future? Sure. Uh, exactly. <laughs> would I want to live in the Star Wars universe? I don't know. Could be kind of cool. Would depend where. Um, if it, if I was a really clever smuggler, um, you know, with, with, with a badass ship and a really cool co-pilot, yeah, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> if, if, if I was, uh, you know, if, if, if I was... A Jawa. <laughs> yeah, see, if I was a Jawa, probably not so Someone much. Someone used droids. Exactly. Yeah, trying, to, trying to, a moisture farmer on Tatooine, probably not so much. Exactly. You know, a scruffy nerf herder, you know, on, 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 on Viet Voodle 6 wouldn't really do it for me. Um, but I see the appeal of that universe. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the thing about Star Wars is that and one of the beautiful things about, I think, what, what what Lucas created was how big that galaxy was and all the stories in it. Um, it would be kind of cool to be um, the hard-boiled PI working on Bespin. You know what I mean? That 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 could be a neat life. God, uh, John Ostrander had some PI character before he was done mm-hmm. with Dark Horse and Star mm-hmm. Wars. Or no, was it a secret agent? It was a secret agent character, mm-hmm. actually. And it was terrific. Great story. So No, you know, I, I would I would agree. And, you know, it's... Man, hasn't it been interesting to watch psychologically the reaction to The Force Awakens? Because first it was, yay, it was great. Yeah. Then it was, you know, raise a Mary Sue. <laughs> and it's like, or at least that debate came up. Yeah, well, that, that, that debate deserves exactly as much attention as uh, <laughs> I'm about to give it, which is, shut the no. fuck up. Right, um, and then 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 you had the you know all these, of, you know Force Awakens was so much better than the prequels, and then you feel guilty, and it's like, well, but then you know that was Lucas telling his story, yeah. and let him tell his story, yeah. and, you know who the hell are we, or at least some of us, some of us more sober fans at least had that reaction yeah. of like, you know, it's, and now, it's very and very now we're funny. seeing and now we're seeing the backlash, and now we're seeing people who think that they're terribly clever going, <gasps> but it's it's just Episode Four all over again, right? Like they didn't know exactly right. what they're doing. At every beat, comfort you know? food, man. Well, and it's look—it's the mythology, it's and that. frankly, I think that that's honoring the quote-unquote rhyming of the series. So I got—I got no quibbles with Force Awakens. I really mm-hmm. don't. Um, you know, it was exactly—it it, it has all the joy, you know, of the best of Star Wars, and it's got the emotional heart. And I thought it was terrific. I thought it was terrific. Well, and that's again. I enjoy watching okay, the so psychology there, there you of go. reacting here, here, because I would I would live in the Star Wars universe. I would love to have been like you know uh, I could have this. This would be actually a pretty cool life. Bartender at Mas Kanata's castle prior to TFA. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, just imagine the stories. You know what a cool place to work. Hilarious. What a cool place to work. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Uh, if you could, oh, another jokey McJoke pants. If you could own a bat gadget, <laughs> which one would it be? Shark repellent. Nice, old chum. Uh, I, I would, uh, you know, because we got the, we got the bat computer. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're in our pockets. Exactly. Which is amazing. Yeah. I think a lot of and people would go suck. for, the, I think a lot of people would go for the car, but I'm like, I have no idea where I'd park it. Yeah, I understand. 
No, I can appreciate and that. Yeah, the Batmobile would be awesome. Though, though, if not the shark repellent, more seriously, just an honest to God Batarang. Those are just neat. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's the one. Do you, th- uh, Taylor James uh, Dolly asks, do you feel like our industry is stuck in the '90s a bit lately? Yes. Variants, new Fifty Two designs, Image Two Point Boom, etc. Yes. Yes, I think in particular. Well, I think a portion of it is. Yeah, I think a portion of it th- is, but that doesn't represent the entire market. No, no, I think I think. Look, it has been said by people far smarter than I that this is a cyclical industry, but the cycle changes each time. Um, you know, the big two are now corporate entities in ways that they never were before because they're tied to these huge entertainment conglomerates. Yep. All right. But as a result of that, the bottom line matters more than ever. So we are seeing behavior designed entirely to drive that. Hence, the return to a lot of the stuff that we were seeing in the 90s that really hurt the industry. Um, I don't know how we see a way back from that. Stuff like Image <clears throat> is arguably, you know, and, and again, publishers like Oni Press, a lot of stuff that Dark Horse puts out now, um, you know, stuff that the smaller publishers are putting out, places like Doom, Boom, you know, yep. they are attempting to fight that, I think, because the nature of the overriding sort of big two is that they where else to go in the market. But I do think that the problem is that the big two are so damn dominant, you know, they eat, they eat the shelf. There's just, there's, there's no room for anything else. That's the problem to me. That's, that's a real issue. Um, there are a lot of books out there that, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't getting shelved now because, you know, to get issue, you know, X, Y, and Z, you have to order 500 of A, B, and C. Uh, but I but I also think that the right stores are saying no to those variants and because they're, they've cultivated an audience that is different. I, I think this young audience, and I don't think you and I have talked about this yet, the new audience that is coming into comics, they don't care. Yeah. They don't, and they don't need comic books for their Spider-Man, Batman, and Wolverine stories. No. They're being served by other by other mediums, yeah. and so therefore they come in whether it's through Walking Dead or or manga or some of these yeah, other things. Video and games it's just or... I'm looking for something interesting to read. Yeah, yeah. And they're finding it, and it's like, yeah, they're like, that's great. You you know, make that noise over there in the corner. Um, but yeah, I I don't know, and I and that's why I think we're seeing. Uh, the big two go, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? How come our numbers have dropped? Yeah. And it's like, well, because there are a bunch of new readers that frankly don't like the 90s fare that you're you're serving up. Yeah, no, they don't want to play that game. But I'm not sure I'm not sure that the big two are – I'm not sure how nimble the big two are uh, at adapting to it. And, and again, see, because a lot of what – they're impatient because the, what, that, right. what that bottom line requires is impatience. Right, that bottom line demands that you know that we, we we see a profit now. So being able to cultivate those audiences and deliver to them um, takes time. In many cases, it takes time, and time is not a luxury that um, I think that the, the big two have. Ironically, um, because certainly their coffers are much deeper. 
Um, and yet they don't, they don't seem to be able to have the patience. They don't, they don't cultivate it. So I don't know, you know, I, um, I don't stay up nights trying to figure out what the industry is going to do. Um, I think I said, you know, earlier that I'm, I'm far more interested in, and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, this is what people want to me, you know, that that's just going to drive me mad and I'm going to get it wrong anyway. I'm just going to try to tell the stories that I want to tell as best as I can tell them and hope that there are people who want to read them um, and trust that if we tell the story well and if we, you know, if we continue to deliver, people will find us. Uh, and, you know, it's worked, it's worked in some cases and others it hasn't. But that's the only thing I know how to do. Do you feel you've answered this question from Tim Higgins? What kind of research do you do for books like Stumptown? Um, yes. Uh, though I can say that what kind of research I do well, depends on what I'm doing, but invariably a lot. Um, there's always reading to be done. You know, I've got all sorts of stuff that I chase down. For Stumptown in particular, you know, I live I live where Stumptown is set. Right. So right. I can go out and look around. Uh like I said, you know, Case of Cup of Joe comes out in large part in me reading the obituary of Stephen Smith and then sort of digging more into who this guy was and being like, wow, this was an amazing human being. And from that, you get this character of Weeks. Um, and from the character of Weeks, you get the story. So. And then uh, Derek Burke asked if you have any more Stumptown stories planned. I'm sure oh, you yes. have a lot. Oh, yes. Yes. It's an, ongo- it's an ongoing book. Yeah, now. Derek, Derek, Derek uh, may not be aware, but we are now an ongoing title. So Stumptown will continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, Volume 3 is in its second story arc. Just uh, two more issues for that. Yeah. Or one more issue. Yeah, me. one more issue. And then, uh, and then we've got a one-off and then uh, starting a whole, new, a whole new arc with issue 11. There you so, go. Yeah. My buddy Tom Kelly asks, uh, he wanted to know your thoughts about fan art and fan films like Axanar or the Thomas Jane Dirty Laundry Mini. Oh, do you know about Star Trek Axanar? I do. It's funny. I was, uh, though I didn't know about Axanar until uh, Wednesday of this week. Well, because <laughs> I, was, I was seeing Matt Clark and, and uh, another guy I know, writer Aaron Dunlap. Uh, and we were. Yeah, Matt and I talked about Axanar. Go yeah. On. And, uh, you know, how do I feel about it? I think it's great. Um, and I think once again, Paramount slash CBS has got no idea how to deal with, uh, what they don't know what they've got and they don't know how to interact with their fan base. Um, it's weird because there's an ink. I mean, I get it from a purely empirical standpoint of, well, we own Star Trek and you guys are unauthorized therefore, but it, they're picking on Axanar and yet there are all these other fan film things that are being made. Mm-hmm. And they don't; they're not going after them. I, and it obviously, you know, it, the timing with the new trailer and the reaction <laughs> to the new trailer compared to the Axanar project, I think shows that these guys kind of know what fans want more than the powers that and, be that are like, "Hey, new Star Trek, right. really new, very unrecognizable from what you've loved these past 40, 50 years." You got it. <laughs> just like just like Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. My God, it's. Um... Like I say, I think that there's a uh, there's a disconnect on some level, you know, where you know, I mean, come on, you know, there's this there's a loyal fan base 
why would you why would you piss them off? Why would you take them for granted? They could be your greatest asset. You know, the smart thing to do would be not to shut these people down, but to bring them into the fold. To, the way that Lucas has done yeah, it for years. Yeah, to say to them, hey, you know what? We've, we've announced that we're doing a new Star Trek series, and we don't know what the hell it's going to be. But I tell you what, why don't you guys come over here and, you know, we'll, we'll pay you, you know, and we'll yeah. give you access to this, and in exchange, we distribute it. You know? Well, I've had Rob. I've had the director on Rob Burnett yeah. because he did that Free Enterprise movie back in '99, yeah. and I met him in uh, San Diego at Comic Con this year. Yeah, yeah. And it just stumbled on him because I I went to say hello to Mark Bernardin, who's been on the show right. a few times, and he was on a panel, and he was on a panel with Rob, and I see Rob's credits in the in the uh, Comic Con program, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the guy from Free Enterprise. I love that movie. Yeah. And I'm like, you got to come on. And I had no idea they were making this fan film. Have have you seen the 20 minute film that they made? No, I haven't seen it. Um, oh I've man, it's on YouTube. Yeah, I've heard it's phenomenal. Is it still it's on amazing. YouTube or has it been pulled yes. down? Oh, that's a good question. And I, that's a very interesting question. I don't know. I haven't looked since uh, Wednesday. But yeah, I, um, it, man, I'll tell you, it's great. It's it's excellent. And I and I gave them thirty five bucks, and I'm like, go, man, I want to see this movie. Yeah, there's this uh, there's this bizarre belief. You know, I encountered it when I was when we were working on the Batwoman stuff initially, that there's a finite amount of publicity. There's there's this belief in uh, in in Hollywood that there's a, only a finite amount of publicity, and that anything that detracts from the thing that the studio wants uh, attention focused on is bad. So, you know, if they're looking at, oh, we want people, you know, paying attention to our new Star Trek movie, God forbid they'd be looking over here versus, hey, you know, maybe this thing over here can build up more excitement and more energy for the other thing that we're building, this other thing that we're going to bring out. But the flip side of that is that, you know, well, maybe we don't want to be embarrassed by it. You know, we don't want to be shown up. We don't want to be told. I don't know. I don't I don't honestly don't know what they're thinking. I I really don't. I, I really thought that, um, again, that they would take a cue from uh, Star Wars and certainly what Disney is able to do with Star Wars and say now that once J.J. Abrams' uh, commitment to this third movie is over, hey, here's a Star Trek cartoon. Here's a Star Trek you know live action show and make movies and do everything that Disney is doing with Star Wars. Paramount should be doing with Star Trek because, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever doesn't make sense to me. Nope. Um, all right, let's see. I'll move on now to uh, to the Facebook questions quickly. Okay. We'll see how quickly we get to them, but here we go. Um, let's see. Here we go. Do you have any interest in here, uh, Patrick Herman? Do you have any interest in writing Lazarus prose stories? Should you be unable to see it continue in comics form? Yeah, actually, and we've discussed doing a short story collection. It's one of the goals, actually, for 2016 is to actually get that together. We've got a list of writers that we want to bring in, and wow. uh, we want to do you know a collection Other family stories. Yeah, exactly. Or just like here are different parts of the world. Here are different stories that people can tell. Um, sort of the rules are, you know. Here's here's the here's the timeline. Let's see a proposal. It can be about anything. It just cannot be a forever story. Right? Sure. And that's sure. and that's basically it. And um, that's something I really want to do in 2016. We're actually trying to figure out uh, the paperwork for that before I start approaching uh, writers on our shortlist. Uh, 
but yeah, I uh, I do see I do see a potential of some Lazarus pros down the line. Uh, he also asked you – you answered this at our last episode, but I'll let people uh, hear this in the update as well. People should listen to it regardless. It was a good conversation <laughs> if you haven't already, and a lot of you have. So good numbers on that. Are there future – are there further Queen and Country stories, comics and or pros on the horizon? Uh, you know, again, time more than anything else. I have uh, I have notes for where I want to go with it. Um and certainly should a Queen and Country movie, for instance, ever happen, I'd be an idiot not to. Um, but right now, man, I've got so many other irons in the fire. Um, you know, there is there, there are stories to tell with Tara's Diops. Um, you know, I've got notes for what I'm calling Operation Coppertop, um, which I suspect I'll have to go back and revise because the world, goddammit, keeps changing on me. <laughs> but that said... Not at present. Initially, Nicola was supposed to take uh, was was going to be the artist for the first new arc, but uh, obviously, she and I went off to do Black Magic. So I understand. That's all right. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, there's play. I mean, that's the great thing. And I still recommend Queen and Country to new new fans and stuff or new friends that uh, are looking for comics but not looking for superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like here's one of the first go to things to get. So. Cool. Um. Brian Bennix asks, uh, and here's what I was going to say: How many how many titles is too many from Image? Is there a level at which the volume becomes too daunting? At some point, will great books get lost in the herd with only some standouts? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I I don't I don't know what that number is. I think that it's it's a valid concern. Um, and God knows that despite wanting to believe that quality is going to win out, you and I both know that that's not always the case. Um, and in fact is rarely the case that the meritocracy is a nice myth. Um, but the flip side is what's the option? You know, do you, yeah, you want less? Well, or (laughs) do you deny people the opportunity? You know, it's an imperfect model. Um, far better that there be the opportunity to put this stuff out there and that there be the chance that people will find it than, you know, for it not to be seen at all. True. And I also, but I also think that it's only one avenue of getting your stuff out there. And in fact, I have a friend and I, uh, as we're recording this, it, it hasn't come out yet, but my second part of my best of 2015 uh, I point to Ryan Brown, the God, the God hates astronauts creator, because he self-published, then self-published through Image, and found that Image wasn't the right fit for him. Yeah. So he's gone back to self-publishing himself. And he is a classic example of a guy that is succeeding and doing the kind of comics he wants to do and making decent money doing it. Uh, you know, not living a Robert Kirkman life. A few of us are. The only one who's living a Robert Kirkman life is Robert Kirkman. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. So, no, is it is it that or a Brian K. Vaughn life? Or, you know, I'm trying to think of other guys like that. But, I mean, you know, a Brubaker, a Fraction, a, a Rucka. You uh, know, I mean, all right. Yeah, I don't Whatever. I don't actually group myself with those guys. i got to tell you, I don't. Um, okay. There's, okay. There's, there's a, a, a level of success that I think in that group that I don't think I've ever achieved. And that's not me bitching. That's, that's me just... 
I think being somewhat empirical about it, but you know, I, look, I'm not complaining about my life. You know, I get to, I get to tell stories for a living and I get paid for it. Um, that ain't bad. So, yeah. um, you know, well, that's why I use the Ryan example. Yeah, exactly. Ryan is not, Ryan's not a guy that came from DC and Marvel Yeah, and just did his own thing, found his own audience online with a free web comic. Yeah. And has been able to make it into something that, yeah, would you mind supporting me yeah. with this thing that you like that I do? Yeah, I've, and I'm making look, more of I've, it. And that's what people do. Look, I've got a friend, uh, a really dear friend here in town, a guy named Neil Bailey, right? And Neil has been doing a web comic called Curate Ipsum, <clears throat> right? You can find it at, uh, I believe, Curate Ipsum or charlieeverett.com, I think. He's been doing this with uh, Artist Extra Way for four years now. Um, and you know, they used to post three times a week. Now they do it twice a week. He whole time I've known him, you know, Neil is always writing. He's always producing. He's always creating. He is always trying to get stuff out there. He's always trying to find an audience. And, you know, in some cases <clears throat> it's been a very hard trip. You know, he has yet to achieve a level of success that, makes any of this financially really viable for him. And he's out there every day slugging away. And, you know, uh, would he love an opportunity to have an image book out there? Sure. You know, would he turn up his nose at Marvel or DC? Absolutely not. But the fact of the matter is, he's doing it his way. And he's being true to himself He's getting the work out there, and I, I really do. I mean, I hope and I, I really maintain faith that little by little, he's going to get there. That audience is going to find him. Um, so, yeah, there isn't just one way to do it. Um, what works for some people doesn't work for others, as we said. It goes back to the you know art styles and everything else. And we live in an era now where there's so many means of distribution. But by the same token, it's very difficult to monetize. Um, you know, you cannot really charge for a webcomic. Can't really do that. It doesn't really work. If you're lucky, you get an audience, and then that audience will give. Right? You put up a tip jar. You can set up a right. Patreon. You can do a Kickstarter. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a gamble. Most most of the people who are trying to do this right now, most people are breaking in or trying to break in, doing it as a labor of love, and they're doing it for nothing. There you go. Yeah. Jacques Mofo. <laughs> <laughs> I like the name. All right. Uh, let's see. One of Rucka's signatures is his strong social conscious and left-wing point of view. I lean that way, too, but wonder, has he ever tried or would be worthy, uh, willing to try a staunchly right-wing pat- protagonist versus a left-wing extremist antagonist? Uh, you sort of did it in uh, Punisher and Checkmate, but full-on would be an interesting switch or challenge for you that he would like to see. Um, you know, I've try, I try um, in, in many, many cases to be as fair as I can to differing points of view. The older I get, the less I think I'm inclined to uh, indulge um, 
points of view that I think are really flawed or, 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 or wrong for lack of a better phrase. Um, that said, you know, uh, look, trying to, you know, writing Punisher, you know, that was, that was an example of me trying to get into a headspace that I was not comfortable with initially and finding a way to do it that I think worked for me. Um, now I don't think, but, but I will admit that the way I did that was kind of by making Frank a political, um, that what, you know, that, that what motivates Frank is the mission and the political ideology that may be extrapolated from that is really of no relevance to him. Um, mm-hmm. to, to, I agree to, to imply that Frank votes uh, <laughs> is, a, is a gross misreading of the character, never mind the fact that how would he do it? Um, you know what I mean? So, I, I, you know, it's not something that I'm opposed to, but I think that, like I said, you know, I, I, you want to be fair to all your characters. And not every character is going to believe what I believe. Um, that said, I believe that stories, you know, as much as they're entertainment, they're more. That there, there is a message uh, to the art. And... I can, I think, no sooner divorce myself from, from, from those things that I believe are important than, than I would expect somebody else to do the same. Um, you know, uh, I, I have no patience, for instance, for people who look at The Force Awakens and go, oh, J.J. Abrams is pursuing a you know, liberal Jewish conspiracy to you know, disenfranchise you know, white males. It's like, yeah, shut up. You know what? Even if it's true, and it isn't, but even if it's true, so fucking what? You know what I mean? It's a bullshit argument. It's a bullshit argument, and I've got no patience for it. So, like I said, a character is a character. And, you know, a character is made up of many things, and their politics are, are part of that. Um... I believe right now that a lot of what has happened in the last 40, 50 years in in this country, specifically in the U.S. politically, has been incredibly damaging. I think it's hurt us in ways that we are only now really beginning to see. And I'm not sure there's a way back from it. I'm not sure there is a way back. Uh, And I think... uh, and I think it's incumbent upon me on some level to speak to that. Uh, that doesn't need to be what everything is about. That doesn't need to be what the, o- the only thing it's about. Yep. You know, it's certainly politics have really no bearing on black magic per se, though there are issues of tolerance and belief there sure. um, that I think are relevant and I think can be read as potentially, you know, you could, you could conceivably read, you know, it allegorically as a, you know, a, the, you know, a fear of, of, of Islam, if you wanted, you know, I mean, if that's what you wanted out of it, you could read that. Right. That, okay. that's certainly not something that I sat down to do, but you know, I could, I could see somebody doing that. 
Um, I think I think you'd probably have to reach a bit to get there, but I can see somebody doing it. So, you know, yeah, I could do it. I might be interested in it. Depends when and where. Understanding why people believe what they believe is very important because I think that that is how we reach. You know, that's the only way things are going to get better. We have to acknowledge the differing points of view. Absolutely. And we have to find sure. a way to compromise between them. And that's one of the things we've lost. Right. It's, it, compromise is seen currently as a weakness rather than a can we find some common exactly. ground so we can move forward. And just the fact that that is an intellectual argument, like you said, shows you where we are. And, yeah, hopefully we will get back to that. I don't know how we can right now because it doesn't seem to be likely. No, it doesn't seem to be something that, that certainly anybody is interested in uh, on uh, uh, in, in, in our current political environment. And it's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's incredibly dangerous. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And it's not simply the season. You know, what we're seeing in this no. election cycle is, you know, this is all this stuff is coming home to roost. And it's coming home to roost in really terrifying, ugly, ugly ways. And that more people are not speaking out and that more people are not terrified and outraged and stepping up uh, is really problematic. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, now I'm going to check off a few people because I want to acknowledge that you asked questions, but we did cover these things. Uh, for instance, Cortland Funk uh, was asking about Nicola Scott's uh, c- contribution to Queen and Country potentially and that it didn't happen. And you've uh, already answered the question of will we see more Queen and Country. So there you go, Cortland Funk. Uh, moving on. Um Rick Vivino asked about, you know, uh, leaving the Lazarus story where it is, and I think we've covered that well. Mm-hmm. So how you doing, Rick Vivino? Enjoy your enjoy your pudding, Rick. We've already served it. I know. Jacob Betcher. Um, let's see. Can you share what future works are on the horizon? He has. What future possible Star Trek or Star Wars work? He has. So there you go, Jacob. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe Hedges asked what it feels like seeing your Star Wars stuff on the grocery store shelves and also asked about leaving the Lazarus story where it's at right now. And again, we've covered that, but what do you think? Uh, like how is, uh, is it weird seeing your stuff out there like that? I haven't yet. Um, though I am, I am tickled every time, uh, somebody tells me that they've seen it. Uh, you know, it's a rare thing to, to see your book in a Costco. Uh, and I think that, you know, the thrill that my mother got, when she found it was kind of worthwhile right there. So it's, it's neat, you know, but like I said, you know, you, you work on star Wars, you are part of something that's enormous. Mm-hmm. You are, sure. you are participating in something that is quite literally, you know, uh, global. And I'm, I'm getting to participate at a moment when, I mean, literally at a moment in, in the franchise history when it arguably couldn't be bigger. Yep. Um, I honestly try not to think about it too much because then it's a little overwhelming. Uh, so I'm just I'm just happy that I'm just happy that pe- the people who are liking it are telling me they like it, and that the people who don't like it have the courtesy not to tell me. So so <laughs> understood. Uh, Cam Neal uh, wanted to know: Do you see a length, an ultimate length for Lazarus? We kind of talked about this in the last episode. Yeah, I think. Um, 
Michael and I have been talking about it, and I think one of the things that, and it's funny because I think it really did come out of our last conversation, is we do. I think it's going to, I think we're going to see if we can't tighten it up and maybe bring it in a little closer. Uh, you know, I, I suspect we'll we'll wrap it up within the next four or five years. So Okay. Yeah. All right. And then he also wants to know how you celebrated the MS, uh, the MLS Cup win. Oh, um, loudly. Um, <laughs> loudly and with alcohol. Um, <laughs> well, that's gee, that's consistent. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So that's the way you do do it. Norman. No, that was uh, that was that was outstanding. I don't think anybody <laughs> at the start of this season had imagined that, that the Timbers were gonna were gonna go all the way. Um, and boy, did they just they came together uh, and they came together in a spectacular way. And it's the first time in in my adult life that. Um, you know, that I've seen my team do, you know, it's normally, normally I'm rooting for the team that didn't, um, <laughs> that's, that, that, that may be the, the, uh, that, that may be the destiny of many fans, I think, but, but it's a big, it's a big damn deal for me. That's uh, cool. Yeah. So is that the Portland, that, like that, MLS? Yeah, it's Portland Timbers. Um, that's awesome. And they just, they, they ended the season unbelievably. Um, cool. And I could not be happier. Not, that's I, great. I used to I used to have to do stuff for the LA Galaxy ten years ago. Really? Yeah, because um, yeah, Sporting News Radio was connected. Their local affiliate was the LA Galaxy uh, radio home, so I had to do a lot of ancillary LA Galaxy uh, programming huh. for a while. Yeah, huh. I had just no uh, idea. production. Yeah, radio production. Just putting stuff together. Cool. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, I got to I got to admit, soccer isn't my thing. Yeah, no, so, fair enough. I, it, it it isn't it isn't the thing for many people, but it is for but, me. No, it's <laughs> awesome, and I no, I absolutely, and also, God, the political side is fascinating. Yeah. Good God, and I mean, I knew about it well before John Oliver picked it apart right before oh, yeah. the government yeah. got involved. So did I. Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, it's a well-known story. But you know, but it's nice to see that it's finally starting that that underbelly is finally starting to be seen. And oh yeah! Hopefully, hopefully, some good will come of the exposure. I can appreciate. Well, again, that's it. Reminds me of boxing because boxing can get as corrupt. Yes. Well, so I understand. Yeah. Um, I think we're. I think we're done. All right. Well, I think. <laughs> I think that was an epic marathon, John. I understand, but I, I, I you're a good man for sticking oh, with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. As early as you Always did. my yeah, pleasure. We always have fun, absolutely, man. Yeah. I and that's why it's so. It's uh, you know, boy, we're like. I, I part of me was like, hey, look who has nothing to do on Saturday night, you and me. All right, <laughs> but it's okay. It works. <laughs> absolutely, no. It's hey, it's as social for me as it is uh, the opportunity to pr- provide a new podcast. So, well, hopefully, I, I thank I'm, you as always. I'm hoping to make it C two E two this year. So hopefully, hey, that's great. Hopefully, you and I can actually do a social. Oh, that'd be wonderful, man. I would. Oh, please. I hope so. I would really like that. Yeah, man, that'd be terrific. Oh God, it's been forever. It has been. It's been a while. I think so, it's been about I mean, three like, years. Yeah, and like you, or like we'll see each other for like ten minutes at San Diego yeah, or something if, like if, that. If we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's wonderful. Good, good. Well, I hope it. I hope that can happen. And uh, thank you for uh, answering questions uh, for the fans and from me. Hey, it's my pleasure. And as hey, as always, no, you're you're doing great, man. Keep it up. All right. And uh, really, really excited about uh, what's going on right now in, in Stumptown. Lazarus, as I say, you lived us at a very interesting point. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and Black Magic is still at, you know, three issues in, but there's uh, th- something's cooking there. Yes. Clearly. Yes. So. We're, we're brewing something, as, as they might say. 
And Lady Saber, any, any? Uh, yeah, you know, we're like... we're back in January. We're back this month. So uh, excellent. And 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 there will be uh, more to come. I think in the next, uh, we'll have some some things to tell the fans. I think in the next couple of weeks. So excellent, man. When uh, and yeah, you know, in a few months we'll uh, we'll reconvene either at C two E two or uh, before or after it. All right, excellent. That'd be great. Well, thank you as always, dude. It's yeah. a pleasure. Debrief. Uh, we are throwing you back in the field, <laughs> taking away the blindfold, dropping you off, as I say, kicking you out of the van. And, you know, kind of like at the end of Pritzi's Honor with uh, there you the go. Bank. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Falachi, you're free to go. <laughs> All right. Well, then. You take care, John. That wraps up another Rucker Debrief and this edition of Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening. Today's Word Balloon was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are happening now on books like Star Wars, Trade Paperback Volume 2, Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon, Jason Aaron, Simone Bianchi, uh, Stuart Immerman. Great stuff and uh, at a good price. 50% off, just $9.99. You can get The Flash Volume 6, Out of Time. That's uh, Robert Vendetti and Van Jensen. Uh, excellent stuff. Brett Booth uh, doing the art chores. 45% off, $9.34. Charles Soule's exceptional Death of Wolverine trade paperback with Steve McNiven. 42% off, just $11.59. Excellent Anaceni work on Daredevil. Uh, this uh, Touch of Typhoid epic collection. Uh, man, 472 pages. 50% off, just $19.99. Man, that is when uh, Anne and uh, John Ramita Jr. were working on the character. Nobody thought that anyone could follow Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Yeah, nobody told Anne Nassetti that. And uh, she absolutely produced an amazing run on Daredevil back in the day. So uh, check that out. Uh, issues uh, 253 through 270. And uh, Punisher's uh, number 10 from 1987. Damn, that's good. Just saying. Uh, check it out and check out more great deals happening at InStockTrades.com. John's not just uh, overwhelmed with uh, daytime work, but uh, glad to uh, keep sending out the word balloons and I uh, hope you're enjoying them. More interesting conversation coming up for the month of January. Uh, some returning guests and some new timers and uh, hopefully a lot more. So uh, keep posted each week for the next Word Balloon podcast. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016. 